Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey everybody, it's Neil from The Vergecast, and this week's interview episode, it's John Gruber. If you're a Vergecast listener and you don't know who John is, I don't know what's going on. John writes the very popular Apple blog, Daring Fireball. He just reviewed the iPhone every year now for a couple years. I've gone on John's show, the talk show, after iPhone review week to get into it. This year we flipped it around, he's coming on The Vergecast. We talk about the iPhone 11, the iPhone 11 Pro, Apple Watch Series 5, of course. We also talk quite a bit about the state of iPhone reviews, which to both of us is very strange right now. We got into it in detail, and John has some very serious thoughts about what's going on at the New York Times. Check it out. It's John Gruber on The Vergecast. All right, John Gruber, welcome to the Vergecast. Ah, it's good to be here, Neli. For the past two years after iPhone reviews, I've come on your show, and this this year on mine. But we should just set it up that we do a podcast after iPhone review land. Yeah, all right. But I do enjoy talking to you after these reviews come out because there's I do too. There's so much. It's like a one of the most intense weeks for people yes. who care about. Pro- like you get this thing, and then you like put your head down, and you got to come out at the end of it on a deadline with like something smart to say about the iPhone, which seems to be getting both harder and easier as the years go by. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, it's different for everybody. But, you know, I'm in a sort of unique boat where I don't have colleagues or a staff. And the last two years where the, like two years ago, the iPhone 8s came out and the iPhone 10 was delayed till October. And then last year it was swapped where the iPhone 10s models came out quote unquote on time in September and the 10R was like late October. And so there was like a full month both of those years between reviewing the two tiers of new phones whereas this year they all came, <laughs> came out on the same day and they gave me three review units and I don't have anybody to hand them off to, you know, yeah. and it's uh, <laughs> Oh, I definitely cheated. I mean, if you just like, and, and then a watch, like the Apple Watch came out yeah. too. So Dieter did our Apple Watch review, but if you look at ours, like I'm, I'm just not capable of like critically reviewing a video camera. So I just like handed it to Becca who reviews video yeah. cameras for us. Um, and then Dieter did, Dieter had an 11 because he, yeah. he had the watch. And so I was like, you just tell me how that battery life is. Like I'm yeah. going to figure it out later. Yeah. Last year, last year was a mess for me because the watch was so new. The series four watches last year mm-hmm. were so new, new form factor, a lot new. And I got it at the same time I had the 10 S and it was just like this 72 hour period where I had like four hours of sleep. And I'm like, wait, should I be writing? <laughs> and I'm like the most looked forward to a post on daring fireball of the year on like, no sleep and like an IV drip of coffee. I don't know. 
I it can't, it can't. I mean, the answer is yes. Like that, you know. Yeah. If you're gonna push it, you got to push it. I don't want to complain though. I, I think we've mentioned this before too. It's it also has reminded me throughout the whole like last ten days that man, this is why I love my job. I am having oh, yeah. a blast. Oh, it's so the I do want to get that out there. I have it's this has been so fun and it's like man this is why I feel like the luckiest guy in the face of the earth. Same deal. I was um with our video team it was like midnight and we were like arguing about whether the Note 10 or the iPhone took better video and I was like how did I invent this job? From? If you had told me that when I was a teenager like you're just going to be playing with with smartphones and All like right. lots of people are going to be yelling about what, whether the video stabilization is better like couldn't ask for anything better. Anyway, let's start at the start. All right. I want to start at the event cuz I there was I feel like the event was interesting. The sort of reaction to the event was interesting. And that has like bled into not how you and I reviewed the phone, but sort of the reception to the phone overall. So the, the event was very muted, right? There's no earth shattering. There's no one more thing. It feels like a bunch of stuff didn't arrive at the event, most notably Deep Fusion, which right. it feels like the camera software that will push the camera even further. They mentioned at the event, but like it's not on the phone, right? Then there's all these rumors about a location tag, right? And we know for a fact that the phones, all three new phones, have this U1 chip, which is this ultra wideband. I don't know what we're going to end up calling it as the as this becomes established. Are we going to call it ultra wideband, or are we going to go UWB? We'll probably go UWB. Yeah, like I, I don't even remember. Like we don't we don't we don't talk about universal serial bus anymore. So. <laughs> I think we'll probably go UWB, but it has this chip, and it is bizarre because it's a chip, and Apple does not add chips for no reason. And the one and only feature that it does right now is let you point one iPhone 11 at another iPhone 11 to prioritize that person in AirDrop. And that doesn't it doesn't work yet. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, we got we're eventually we'll talk about iOS 13, but iOS right. 13 is very weird. And so this chip with this feature doesn't even work yet. It's just like unused chip in the iPhone, and as you say. Uh, Apple doesn't do that. Like, yeah. Should- so it's definitely, it is absolutely, it, there is something coming. And who knows? Maybe it won't even come in the next year. It, it I think it will. I think it's coming s- probably by the end of this year, some kind of product announcement or feature announcement that will do more. But even if it doesn't come until we have new phones a year from now and we're talking on another podcast again, they've at least future proofed this year's phones to be able to play in that game. Like they're clearly, whenever that time comes when they start unveiling the features, these new phones from this year are going to be in the game of this UWB future. And that was weird though. And you gotta, you gotta think that like six months ago, they were hoping to have something to announce in the, in the event. I mean, so U1 came out, the, the existence of U1, it's on the webpage for the pro, it's not on the webpage for the 11. And the only reason I think people would have figured out, but during the event, they didn't mention it. It was just they have that slide with all the all the other stuff, right? The, yeah. All the other stuff, which is redesigned this year is very nice. And it was like tucked in the corner, new U1 chip. I remember, I, I still remember whenever, it's like an Apple tradition where they have the, the slide for like a, a, a segment of, of a keynote where it's like, here's all this stuff that we didn't even fit into what we're talking about, right? And they put that slide up. My favorite of all time was from the original iPhone event, which is the keynote to end all keynotes. But my favorite part is that Jobs is up there. It's it's the greatest keynote Apple's ever held. Steve Jobs' greatest moment on stage, the, the best product introduction ever. And one of the things that's up there on this slide with like 30 other things is it just says Coco. <laughs> 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 and right. like 
in my world with all my developer friends, like people saw it and they went nuts. They're like, holy shit, it is. We can write Mac. You know, if you know how to write Mac apps, you can write apps for this thing. Because, <laughs> you know, they didn't talk about apps yeah. at the iPhone thing. But it just it was like just a little word. But like to developers, it literally could have been like the entire keynote. They they wanted immediately wanted like a three hour briefing on what does this mean that, it, that the iPhone runs Coco. But anyway, yeah, the U1 chip was up there as a, a little. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we were like, we asked, and they're like, yeah, you know, one day it'll do this airdrop thing. And uh, they mentioned to us, uh, you know, it's, it'll be useful for like unlocking cars. Yes, they did tell me that too. And I was like, what cars? They're like, you know, cars. And it was like, okay. So I don't know if the, the U1 chip in UWB is a standard. I, I, I'm told that there's a standard out there in the world. There is a consortium. Uh, I mean, <laughs> whether that means it's a standard, I don't know. Nothing, nothing speaks to efficiency like a consortium of tech companies. Right. Well, it's sort of like Qi, you know, like Qi is a standard. And, you know, I have to say it like that. You have to pronounce it yeah. like standard. But it's like there's all sorts of stuff like some things charge it, you know, it, 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 it's kind of all over the place, right? Like some people are selling, some third parties are selling Qi chargers that do things sort of like what AirPower was supposed to do, where you can put an Apple Watch on it. But Apple Watch is not a Qi device. Like you can't put an Apple Watch on a stand, most yeah. Qi chargers and have anything happen. But some companies are making chargers where you can charge it. So it's, you know, who knows what's standard and what's not. Yeah. So that's the, the event is like kind of marked by, I think, Actually, and this played to Apple's favor when it when it came to the phones. Sort of reduced expectation. Like, there's no big thing to evaluate. They're like with with iPhone 11. Schiller got on stage and he's like, "We did what people care about. We like better camera, improved battery life. Here you go." And then there was you know a little razzle dazzle around the Pro because it's like the flagship phone. But at the end of the day, he's like, "Look at how great this camera is. We added a third lens." Yeah, that's it. Like there wasn't much going on there. So then you come out of the keynote and you're like, "Great, that's kind of what we expected." Hmm got to poke at where this other stuff is and there's a column from charlie Wurzel in the times who is great i think i like him a lot overall i should say that and i if there's one regret about my retort it's that i didn't preface it by saying that in general i'm a huge fan of his work and i think he's i would just say that he, I, I am in general a big charlie Wurzel fan yeah and he's been leading like the privacy project in the opinion page of the time. Like, right in a very fair way but charlie wrote a column which is just strange to me as well, but uh, basically being like these should there shouldn't be Apple keynotes anymore, and then you wrote a response. So I kind of want to unpack your response a little bit. Like Charlie's point is this is out of touch, right? Like there's a trade war going on. It's gonna, it could affect most of Apple's products. The consequences of mobile phones like have <laughs> torn the world asunder. Why are we gathering in a room to like clap for Apple? And I, it's funny to me because jur- whether or not journalists slash bloggers like clap at Apple events, in my world has been litigated since like 2007, right? Like I remember when we were babies at Engadget and like Ryan Block would look at me like, people are going to clap. Don't you dare clap. And mm. like, okay, I've known that. It's been 12 years. I've never clapped. Like I'm, like, I think you wrote this. Like I'm busy. I'm yeah. like live blogging. <laughs> I don't have well, time to clap. It was, it was literally like Warzel's sentence was something to the effect of the laptop lit faces of the tech bloggers and then something, something that they applaud, you know, break out in applause. And I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense if you think about it, because the reason their faces are laptop lit is that they're busy typing either live blogs or notes. (laughs) Like people don't have, (laughs) 
Like it's really hard to, I, I could never live blog. I just could not do it. I, I would still be live blogging like the opening video, you know? <laughs> and, and meanwhile, like Cayenne Drance is going off stage. Yeah. <laughs> like having introduced, and I'm like, what, what did I miss? <laughs> but I know, you know, I've sat next to, I've sat with you guys sometimes and I've sat next to Jason Snell, who seriously is like, like a world-class typist, like a hundred 20 words a minute wonder they're too busy (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's just like a lot going on but like uh, there's like the room's full of apple employees and like partners well that's the thing one of the things that warzel's column sort of laid bare is the misconceptions about these apple events and who's attending and it's not an unreasonable presumption to think that these are press events these are media events and most of the people in in the audience are members of the media. And so when you hear this applause, you think, well, there's the media cheering at this Steve Jobs thing. The media is very small, especially the English language media is a very small number, uh, percentage of the people in the seats in the Steve Jobs theater. Uh, Because one of the changes in recent years is that in years past, when Apple would have a keynote, they would hold satellite events in like London and, and I don't know where they did it in Asia, if they did China, if they did Japan, I I know, I'm pretty sure they did Japan, but so like Asian journalists wouldn't have to travel all the way to Cupertino and weren't even invited. They would go to like a satellite event where it would be teleconferenced and there'd be, you know, native speaking Apple people there to do briefings with these people. And London always had these things and they don't do that anymore. I forget when they stop, but they now fly You know, everybody has to fly in to Cupertino and the number of Asian language journalists who come, especially for the iPhone event, is off the charts. So the number and the number of Apple employees and VIPs and, you know, meaning people like from Pixar and stuff like that, like you often see like a, well, I know Lee Unkrich actually left Pixar, but he probably still gets special invitations. But you see people from Pixar and stuff like that. There's a huge number of those people. And the number of English language journalists who are at these events, especially at a smaller venue like Steve Jobs, is really just a tiny fraction of the audience. If the journalists clapped and only the journalists clapped, you would hardly hear it on the video. <laughs> it's funny. It's like you want to you want to seed the room a little bit, right? Like Samsung yeah. invites a bunch of like Samsung fans. So like Tesla has events and Elon Musk is like handing out invites on Twitter to the people who reply the fastest to him. Like yeah. there's a, there's a strategy here to be like, yeah, you're on stage. Like you want someone to like look happy and clap. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, they like Samsung literally invite like hundreds of Samsung fans. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little different. I mean, I don't think Apple's playing that game, but right. yeah, there's a bunch of people who like worked on the product, like clapping for the introduction. Apple's version of that would be at the uh, at the Brooklyn event last year, which I think was their October event. Yeah, when they had the October event at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, which is a much bigger venue than than the Steve Jobs Theater, to fill the seats, they invited retail employees from around the country, and so like stores got to, and it was, I think it's a really nice perk for the retail employees, but like store managers got to pick like their best employees and they got to, you know, I'm sure on Tim Cook's dime, send them to Brooklyn to see this event. And I was sitting pretty far up close. Um, Their enthusiasm was genuine. It wasn't like, oh, they were told, hey, you're here to fill seats and clap. They were just like out of their minds, happy to be there. You know, like that's why they work in Apple stores. That's why they're like the employee of the month at Apple stores is they just love this stuff. And the other thing that was amazing to me, like I was sitting there with Panzerino, Matthew Panzerino of TechCrunch, and there were a couple of retail employees, uh, young women uh, behind, right behind us. And they were so enthusiastic. And we talk, I, I, I know this because after the event, we introduced ourselves and I you know, talked to them. And they're actually from 
oh geez, I forget, but it's like a suburb of Philly here. They're actually, they were actually from a store really close to Philly, uh, right outside the city. I never go there cause I never leave the house really. <laughs> but they, the other thing that was fascinating is they were super into it, but they also clearly like don't follow the rumors at all. So like when they introduced, when they said that the, I, the, uh, the new iPad pro has USB-C, which, you know, like me and you knew, right? That, mm-hmm. that leaked months before. They were like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so genuine. It was so genuine. That's great. But that's like Apple's Apple's method of, of uh, priming the pump is uh, get, putting retail employees in there. I mean, that's great. I mean, they, they all do it. But like, that's just like kind of, I, I wanted to bring up the column in that moment and the, my personal amusement at the idea that we're still litigating whether or not journalists clap at Apple events a decade, over a decade later. Because it uh, it set the tenor for me of like the reviews, right? So that the phones come out, but the Apple rumor press was like, you know, there's going to be reversible charging. There's going to be this tile competitor tagging thing. Here's this big feature. And that stuff wasn't there. So it's very nice updates to the phones, which we should definitely talk about. But that's kind of the context for me of like, okay, we're going in this review is Apple put on an event, which was not even their most bombastic event, right? Like Bono isn't floating around. They're, they didn't rent a school and build an Apple store to tell you the Apple Watch would change health and fit. You know what I mean? Like, they just updated their products. It was great. They were very important products literally in the world. But they didn't oversell it. And then the re- reaction is they should just stop doing these entirely, which makes no sense to me. So that I, – I, I, did you feel that context, like, shift yeah. around the phone? Yeah, and I, I I got a lot of good comments. I don't want to pat myself on the back here, but I, I got a lot of good comments, especially from people, uh, fellow hacks in the industry, about my response to Warzel. I, I think he missed the boat there. I really do. And I really do think that it was sort of a self-congratulatory way of, you know, it just popped into his head to assert that he doesn't care. I really think, and like I wrote in my, my response, it really, it, if you really think about it, it had nothing to do with Apple. It had nothing to do with... Apple fans. It had nothing to do with society, really, even though he caged it that way. Because I don't think that that's the moment. I, you know, and talking about inequality and 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 stuff like that. It's it, if anything to me, the iPhone and and the uh, smartphone revolution on the Android side that followed in the iPhone's wake. And without being religious about it, let's face it: every single phone that people use around the world today is either an iPhone or an Android phone that followed the the iPhone's basic conceptual design. It's, it's one of the most democratizing pieces of technology in history. Like there are so many people around the world, like people in, in countries of uh, that are, you know, generally considered to be in poverty where their only internet access is through a smartphone. There are, that it is truly democratizing because they don't have the wired infrastructure. So it has to be wireless. And if you're only going to have one device, a smartphone is it. So, Yes, of course. If you're truly living in poverty, your phone may not be an iPhone. It's probably it's probably more likely to be an Android phone. But that Android phone is very iPhone-like and inspired by that revolution. And I think I think to, to crap on it like that is is really missing the mark because it's to me the stuff that's of the moment. It would be like yachts. It's it's the <laughs> right. It's the things that cost millions of dollars that are, hmm, where the hell have we gone wrong as a society? Stuff that costs $700 is, and is something that you use all day, every day, is not that. Yeah. And, I, you know, Apple doesn't, they're not the Googles and Facebooks of the world, right? They're actually very publicly in opposition. I, I'm curious to see if, you know, like Google has an event coming out for the Pixel. Right. Like, they've got a chart a finer line than Apple did. But 
that's the context. I just like we we kind of talked about it a lot, but that to me is like a really important context for the phone for like Apple's moves with the phone this year. They didn't they didn't oversell it, which I think is actually a really smart move on their part because it overdelivers. And then I really do want to talk to you about like the state of reviews because I think it's it's upside down. But let's talk about the phone because that's probably why people started listening to the show not to hear us talk about uh, the New York Times opinion section. Although, if you want, John and I will be doing a podcast about the New York Times opinion section. <laughs> Let's talk about the phone. So, your I read your review. You were like, this is basically a camera now. I, I, I'm into the camera. Uh, I want your thoughts on that. My read on it, and I'm very curious if you know anything extra here, is that I was not impressed with the 10s camera last year. I actually reread my review, and I was like, well, how was I so polite to this thing? Like, I've had it for a year, and I don't like it. They fixed it. They fixed it a lot. One difference between you and my you and my take on cameras, and yeah. and I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think partially it's it comes down to my de- declining close vision. But I tend to judge the picture pictures as a whole. Yeah, and and you're very finely attuned to like hundred percent crops and what details you see. And I, I don't really get into that. I didn't even doing my comparisons and tests with the phone this week. I, I never, I don't think I once zoomed into a hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. It's just a different take. And I, I do see it like reading your review and looking at some of the, like in your, your review this week where you shot pictures with the new 11 cameras also looked at 10 S footage or, or images of the same exact scene. And you know, like, uh, I think you shot some with a Pixel 3 and a Note 10S yeah. or whatever the fuck the Note is called. <laughs> I see what you're talking about, and I'm glad. That's one of the reasons I'm glad that they, they, they give so many different people review units and people take different takes. And I, I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. I see exactly what Neil is talking about. It never occurred to me to look at that. But I therefore think I was happier with the 10S camera than you are because I think a lot of your displeasure with it are some of the things that it did like with the whatever they call the Super HDR. I, I honestly can't remember. Smart HDR. Smart HDR. I see what you mean at 100%, but not at 100%. I think, it's, I think it was all right. And I think that's why Apple shipped it as it was. So I think Apple knows, and this is true, and I think, like, I agree with you 100% that most people are going to take a phone, or they're going to take a photo on their phone, and then look at it on their phone's display, right? right. And then maybe you're going to send it to Instagram, which is going to you further compress it and, <laughs> and like, keep it really small and right. destroy it. And then like, right. it'll show up on another phone display. And like, it is probably, it is more than likely that most photos you take on your phone will never show up on a computer display. will never show up on anything bigger than uh, uh, what? 6.2 inches or whatever the, the max is. Yeah. I, I, I buy it. Sure. Like I, I agree to be clear. I, I didn't do my whole review by only looking at the images on the phone. I definitely looked at them on my iMac and, and a lot of them on my MacBook. you know, at full size on a MacBook, So 13 inches, if not 27 inches. So I definitely looked at them big. I just didn't really zoom in, but you know, it's definitely true. And I, I think Apple knows that. And I do think that that is the, here's, you know, your laundry, I think your laundry list of complaints about the 10 S camera is very astute and I can't think of anybody who said it better or proved it better than you. But I think that the ref, the refute to that, or why would Apple ship something that, that Neelai can show <laughs> it does X, Y, and Z wrong. And I think that their resort would be, well, look, here's the percentage of people who never look at an image bigger than six inches. Yeah. And I, I will tell you, uh, that was, uh, effectively the response last year, but here's, and I think this also goes into my general thoughts about reviews. If you accept that, then every one of these phones has an absolutely blow-away camera. 
note photos on a note display look incredible, mm-hmm. right? Like Samsung, they just like crank the brightness on that display. It is. I keep thinking of the Kool Aid Man when I think about Samsung's approach to how <laughs> things should look. Like it's like yeah, like it's just out of control. It's a party. <laughs> Right, it's like your drunk friend at a party is like, "I'm here!" Like, I love it. It's like it's awesome to look at, and everybody you see is a uh, Samsung photo on a Samsung display is like, "That's the one I love it." <laughs> if you look at a Pixel, Pixels take really moody shots. They've got OLED screens. They look, the contrast is great. And if you look at an iPhone, an iPhone looks great. So to me, it's like I don't know how to tell you what's good or bad unless I look very mm. closely, and that's like I don't think it's really that valuable. <laughs> Right. Like I, I kind of know that I, these are just fine. And, you know, we, I have an iPhone XS and my wife has an iPhone XS and she takes a million photos of the baby and they all look great. Like no complaints. But I know that I'm willing to upgrade this year for the first time a year over year upgrade because she's going to take better photos of the baby. And that's to me like I think we're at the point with these phones where to review these fine differences. You have to you're, you're kind of forced to go back to a very early kind yeah. of tech writing. And that is, it feels very nerdy and out of, like, when Walt works here, he's like, you you write for enthusiasts and, like, you know, you got to get more mainstream. You got to, like, do the thing Walt did, which is, like, bring technology to the big audience because it's important. And I feel like right now with things like how bright is the screen, how good is the camera, you're kind of, you have to do some enthusiast stuff again. Walt was so good at that. It really, I mean, nobody was better at, at writing a review for the most mainstream audience but knowing that even still the quote-unquote mainstream audience for the personal tech columnist of the wall street journal or at, you know in, in his in you yeah. know, last decade you know at, at, at the verge and and you know recode they're still semi-enthusiasts right because the people who truly don't care at all aren't reading that column right if you don't give a shit at all about <laughs> electronics. You just skipped Walt's column on the you know down the left hand side of the journal all those years. You know, right? so at least he knew his audience was somewhat, you know, at least interested. And he was so good at at at, at approaching technology from their perspective. But I agree that at some level, and I, I I hate to repeat myself, but I feel like I have to now year after year and emphasize I'm going to do a lot of comparisons to the year old iPhone with this iPhone. But I know for a fact, and everybody should keep in mind, and I'm going to use italics, and I'm tempted to almost put this in all cap, normal people do not even think about upgrading a year-old phone. Never even enters their mind. Because it still yeah. feels like, like the, whatever they spent for the year-old iPhone, 700 to you know, up to $1,400, it still feels like a fresh wound to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, and the phone's good, right? Like, and I, I, like literally, this is the year where the battery life improves so much year over year for the pro phones. And the, to my eye, the, the camera is – those photos hold up to scrutiny in a way that I think the 10s did not. And I don't I, – 100% crops, like, yep, you got you to look hard. But even just if you want to crop them a little bit and print them out, right, you want to just – you want to just get a little – you want to run them through a filter in Lightroom just to clean them up and put them on a Christmas card – these photos are substantially better because they have, they just have more detail. And I think I don't think that's just smart HDR. I don't think it's just the rendering pipeline. I I was looking at the Halide technical readout yeah. blog that they did. I think the sensor is substantially improved 
and they just kind of didn't talk about it a lot. Like, 100% focus pixels, but it's actually a much better sensor. Yeah, I and I did a lot of my testing in low-light conditions, and it was tricky for two reasons. One was that Apple spent a lot of time talking about their night mode, uh, and the night mode is comes on automatically. They really want you to just use it and go with it and let the phone, let the iPhone decide when to turn it on. Like it takes a little, I saw a couple of people complain that it's too hard to disable. It's not too hard, but unlike the flash where if you, if the flashes are like, let's say live photos, same as the flash. Uh, if live photo mode is on, there's an icon that's yellow. You tap it once it turns white. That means it's off. And then you're not shooting live photo with night mode. It takes more than a tap. You have to tap the thing that's yellow that indicates that it's on and it tells you how many seconds it wants to be. It'll say like one, one second, two second, three second. You tap it and then there's a little dial where you have to flick, flick it to make it off. So it's like a two-step process to disable it. They really want you to use it. But the thing that I noticed towards the end of my testing and really wish I had more time was that when I did turn it off and shoot side by side with the year old 10S in low light, even with the night mode off, boy, did I get better results. And that's got to be the sensor because it's not the lens. Like with the telephoto lens, you, the sensor I think is exactly the same, but the lens went from f two point four to f two point oh. Which, if you don't speak camera ease, lower numbers mean better in low light. And two point two point oh from two point four is pretty significant. Yeah. No. I, 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 they told me the telephoto sensor is basically the same. The lens on the main camera is basically the same and then the sensor on the main cameras all they would say is it's different it's 100 focus pixels the only thing they bragged about in the event and in their marketing material is that the 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 standard lens the main lens the, the one they call the wide lens the one that comes on by default the one they call one x the thing they bragged about the sensor is that it now has quote 100 focus pixels but I think there's more to it than that. Like focus pixels makes it sound like all it does is better autofocus. But I, I think it's it's a vastly improved sensor. Yeah, I mean, so 100%, at least it's a tell that it is definitely a different sensor. Yeah. But I think the problem with the 10s, and I've kind of like heard this from a couple of folks, is that they ran that sensor really hard. Yeah. And it was, it was just really noisy. Like I think it was actually like, I don't know if you can overclock a sensor, but they were basically like overclocking the sensor. Yeah. And it was super noisy. And then the problems I see with tennis photos are they're doing a shitload of noise reduction, right, to, to clean that up. So I think this one is just less noisy, and they, they can just save more detail by doing less noise reduction. But that night mode, the way that the, sort of the Pixel does night mode is they're just ultra high gain on the sensor. They're just pulling in more mm-hmm. data, and they're like, we're really smart. We're Google. Our computer will tell you what that picture should be and then, like, fix it, yeah. whereas Apple is actually bracketing, and it is, a, it is a substantially better night mode to my eye, it, it, which is incredibly impressive. It, it, I agree. And I know people are some, – some Verge listeners are going to go, of course John Gruber agrees that the, the iPhone's <laughs> night mode is better than the Pixel's night mode. But I, I – I mean, full credit – to Google, I mean, they were a year ahead on this, you know, having a night mode. They call it night sight. And in some regards, it's impressive and they deserve all the kudos they've gotten. But there's something about a lot of night sight shots from the pixels that is off. And I noticed it right away, like when um, when Vlad at The Verge uh, really was the, the, at least to my mind, the lead at the verge at, at really, uh, I mean, he was all over it before it even shipped, you know, like he, he yeah. somehow figured out how to enable it like 
it wasn't even like an official beta. It was like some kind of hack you installed. Like you'd... Vlad loves that camera. So yeah. he, Vlad is now at Bloomberg. Uh, he's very happy at Bloomberg. He moved to Tokyo. He works at Bloomberg, uh, Tokyo. He loves taking pixel photos so much that he now has a side business selling his pixel photos <laughs> because people love them so much, which is incredible. But some of the ones that he published, uh, and, and, you know, it's been a full year later and there have been software updates, and I think that they've toned it down a little bit. But uh, to me, a lot of the night site shots look like what in the film what the movie making world was called day for night where yeah. it, in in like the in the early i guess they used to do it in black and white era too and it was probably less easy to tell but in like the early days of color film like the 50s and 60s when they'd shoot night scenes they'd shoot them during the daytime and just uh, underexpose the film and you know at a glance it sort of looks like night but like if you really pay attention you can see there's these <laughs> It's, it's very clear. <laughs> Once you realize that the way they did it was shooting in daylight with under and underexposing the film, it looks like that. And, and it almost yeah. looks comical. And sometimes the night sight shots sort of have that effect where it's like uh, you'd see like here's what the standard photo looks like. And it's clearly too, too dark to get a good exposure. It's a dark city street. And then here's the night sight shot. And it looked sort of like daytime it didn't look like wow here's a, a, a nighttime shot with a, a proper exposure you can take photos in night or in the dark with this thing it actually just looked it, it didn't accurately reflect the scene is what i'm trying to say yeah. whereas apples to me always accurately reflects what my eyes tell me it, it should see if it can get an exposure i i would say it's you're generally correct there's a few places where i took photos where the Pixel is just a moodier camera. Like, there's no, it's not better or worse. It is just, it takes moodier photos. Like, it's more contrasty. It likes it. It tends to to pull. I think it's definitely a worse camera than the than the new 11. I think it's debatable compared to the 10s. I don't know. I don't. I don't think there's any doubt that. And and again, to be fair, Google is coming out with Pixel 4 in, in yeah. less than <laughs> less than. They're not being shy about it. There's already billboards for Pixel 4. Right. So the fair comparison will be Pixel 4 against the iPhone 11. So, you know, to, let's just be clear about that. But I don't think and, – and, you know, and, and we're all we're, – you and I are both in full agreement that this 11 is a vast improvement over the 10s from just a year ago. It's quite possible, hopeful, and a, given their focus on photography with the Pixel, that the Pixel 4 might be a big improvement over the Pixel 3 too. So let me just get that out of the way. Yeah, the Pixel 4, I, I said it in one of our reviews, it like looms over this like – I'm comparing it to a phone, and the other phone is already like they've leaked so much of the Pixel Four that it would not surprise me if they announced the Pixel Five at the Pixel Four. <laughs> like they're so far ahead of their right. own curve. No, I mean I, I, it's more like different kinds of film. If you ever shot film, like yes, I did. The Pixel just like looks different. Yeah, even if the quality was exactly the same, the Pixel just looks different. Yeah, and it's totally aesthetic. And I don't think that you can say better or worse. So there are times when you're absolutely correct. Like the iPhone just sort of exposes that night shot better but sometimes i would get the pixel night sight back and i'd be like it's just a more contrasty photo hmm. it, it looks like the photo i wanted to make from the jump whereas the iphone is like everything is perfect and i actually want some of these things to to recede to highlight the thing i want and like that is purely whatever i can just fix that problem in lightroom like i don't whatever but to me the the big thing that isn't there is this deep fusion so you were talking about night sight and why it wants to come on all the time that middle ground between bright sunlight mm -hmm. and, okay, night sight is appropriate, it's dark, that middle ground is the thing that Apple is going to improve with Deep Fusion, and it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, – I, I guess I could rewatch the event, but I, if there's anything that Apple missed during their event, 
it was during Schiller's segment when he said, look, we've got this feature we're so excited about. It's not ready yet. It'll be coming, quote unquote, later this year. But I, it, I'm so excited about it. I want to talk to you about it now. And that's this Deep Fusion. My takeaway after the event was, well, wait, Deep Fusion has something to do with improving photography in lower light. And night mode definitely has something to do with low light. But night mode is already here. What's the difference? When do they kick in? <laughs> and talking to Apple behind the scenes over the last week, it's, it, it, it's very clear. But I don't think it was clear in the event. It's no. from like 600 lux to 10 lux is where Deep Fusion is going to try to make photographs better through this machine learning. Night mode is about 10 lux and less lighting conditions. So it yeah. really is sort of like a very clear, like you said, like sort of like this middle ground is where deep fusion is supposed to kick in. Which is uh, where you take most of your photos. Right. Well, a like, lot. I, I certainly do. I mean, if you're inside, that's like where you live. Um, if you're inside, that's where you live. That's great. Like, <laughs> you're not always like out in the park or whatever, right? Like, you're mostly like around, you're in a bar, you're at a restaurant. Like, right. So for Apple to have this like technology that's going to revolutionize that thing, which hits the most photos, and for it to not be there, and for them to not even tell you that's what it's going to fix... Like there's just that one yeah. photo of the dude in the sweater. Yeah. It was a weird demo that there was only one example and it was neat. But it also even the example, it didn't really like show you like here's what it would have been like without Deep Fusion. Yeah. And from what I can tell, Deep Fusion, I mean, Schiller called it mad science. Like it kind of is nuts, right? Like it right. it let me get into a Twitter debate with like Steven Sadowski over what even is a photo. Yeah, I saw that. I chimed in. I chimed in on that too. Yeah, it's like you kind of have to decide now. Like, okay, you're you're collecting like you know nine frames or whatever Deep Fusion does, and then it's going to look at them, and then it's going to like make a photo of its own. And I think Panzerino is like at some point Apple's just going to tell you what photo you should have taken, and you're going to have to take a photo at all. Like it seems incredible, but all I have is like one photo of a sweater, and then another photo they showed me of somebody else wearing a sweater. In the film era, the capture part was, I guess the word I'm looking for is deterministic. That if you had a certain lens and were using a certain brand of film and exposed for this aperture, for this uh, shutter speed, this is what's going to be on the negative. And there's a certain purity to that, right? Like you and I could have, if we use the same camera with the same film and the same lens and same aperture and shutter speed are going to capture pretty much the same thing. I mean, obviously, because it's not digital, it's analog. It's not like at the molecular level identical, but we're going to get captured the same image. And there's a purity to that. And and I, what the Sinofsky argument was about was sort of like he brought up like, hey, how is this computational photography going to jibe with the rules of photojournalist yeah. contests and awards where there are rules about like manipulating photos? Like you can't Photoshop something out of a photo and and publish it as quote unquote photojournalism, but you know everything in like magazine stuff does go through <laughs> photo. You know, yeah. like where do you draw the line of what are you allowed to do in Photoshop and what aren't you? You know, like the the famous picture of the one, the, you know, the 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 guy standing there with Stalin who got erased from the official <laughs> photo. You know, obviously that's not allowed. Yeah. Like you can't just erase somebody. But what do you you know what are you allowed to do? Are you allowed to take a pimple off somebody's face? Uh, you know, everybody brightens. and But even in the film days, though, there was so much that, this is my point, is that there was so much that went on in the developing room. Yeah. So much and could really change the mood and and, and uh, overall effectiveness of the resulting image. 
And I, I kind of feel like you can't overlook that. And just because a lot of that type of stuff is now happening instantaneously in the quote unquote, tr- I, I, I'm not, I shouldn't say quote unquote, the trillions of operations that these phones are doing instantaneously when you press and release the shutter button on your phone, that they're all happening automatically and not guided by a human hand in a dark room doesn't, it still is to the, to the same purpose, which is to make the image look better by somebody's opinion of what looks better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that gets me is I wish I knew, like I would be smarter in this part of the conversation if I could use deep fusion and I can't, and I I don't even know what it's like really going to do. One thing I don't think people realize, I don't think people realize, like if you just look at like a raw image, like you mentioned halide before, like if you just shoot like raw images on an iPhone, they look like garbage. Yeah. They're terrible. Like the what you know. Like if you were going to do nothing, just open the shutter and expose an image on the sensor, and then save it to a file. They look terrible. Yeah, <laughs> they, look, they look absolutely <laughs> terrible. Like you could see what it is. It's like, oh yeah, this is a city street, and there's people, but like nothing looks right. Like it all requires processing. And where do you draw the line? Is this is this is a legitimate, straight, fair, honest photo, and this is manipulated? I, I don't know. I mean, it's too. It's it's almost philosophical as, as an argument. It's funny. The, um, we, we took some RAWs using Halide on, on this phone and the 10s, and the, I keep saying the sensor is less noisy. If those RAWs are what I think they are, and, you know, the, like it hasn't yet shipped for uh, the new phones. It's not official yet. Yeah, that sensor is way less noisy. Like the 10s sensor yeah. RAWs are, are really quite noisy. Yeah. Um, but the reason I keep bringing up Deep Fusion and whether it ships is like to get you to iOS 13, right? Yes. Because I don't know what's going on with iOS 13 and like, really, the first question I had on my list for you was, "Hey, do you know what's going on with iOS 13?" Not at the moment. I mean, it, it is weird. Uh, I mean, basically, what we do know, what is officially known, is that iOS 13 is shipping on Friday, the 20th, and everybody who has an iPhone can upgrade if they want, but they probably shouldn't. Yeah, really. Everybody who gets a new iPhone 11 on Friday, when they, you know, ding dong, here's the UPS guy, and here's the new iPhone you pre-ordered, or if you go you know, uh, wait in line at your local Apple store and get one. We'll ship with iOS 13.0. But 10 days later, (laughs) at the end of the month, they've already told us iOS 13.1 is coming, which is really what I think most people, if you don't want to put a beta OS on your phone, then you should wait for iOS 13.1. Because whether they call it a beta or not, iOS 13.0 is absolutely beta quality software and sort of like mid beta quality software. Yeah, I have in all my years of using iPhones on day one, uh, you know, like in the early years before I got review units, I'd still buy one on the first day. And then, I don't know, starting, I think the first phone I got a review unit of was the Verizon iPhone 4S. And so ever since then, I've had access to them, you know, a week before they come out or something like that. I've never seen anything like this. I have never had a review unit or day one iPhone with an OS that is so buggy. And I did not belabor the point in my in my article. And I've even said, because 10 days from now, there's going to be 13.1. If 13.1 comes out and it's as buggy as 13.0, then yeah, here comes the here comes the massive daring fireball essay. This is a garbage fire. Yeah, but let's give them 10 days. Uh, it is weird though. I got a lot of questions. Why did you give a phone a nine when you said that software bugs? It's like, well, because 10 days from now, like most people will never experience the software in the mm-hmm. life cycle of this phone, right. and they're historically pretty good about it. But it is why not just wait the extra 10 days? Yeah, I wonder about that too. I, I really wonder why they didn't just put off shipping these things for 10 more days. Are they really that keen on getting the sales 
booked for the quarter that ends at the end of September? I mean, that honestly could be the answer. I mean, Apple's quarter, you know, everybody's quarters, you know, whether whatever they call them differs. Like this is the fourth of in yeah, Apple's yeah. financial calendar. It's the fourth quarter of 2019, which always drives me freaking crazy. Uh, I have no idea how that ever happened. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> um, but everybody's quarter ends in September. And if they didn't ship them until September 30th, they'd still get those day one sales booked for the quarter, but they're going to book millions and million, tens of millions more probably because they're shipping starting on the 20th. I, I guess that could honestly be the reason, but boy, it's a bad customer experience uh, and questionable. I mean, some of the things I've seen bug wise are freeze ups. Like it just happened, literally just happened while I was watching, rereading your, your iPhone 10s review at lunch. Safari just completely froze up, like just was unresponsive to touch. Like I couldn't, couldn't close tab. Nothing I did on screen while Safari was open would respond to anything. No scrolling, no tapping yet. Safari wasn't wedged if I, and just to test it, I went to an email, found a URL, tapped the URL, went to Safari, it loaded it, <laughs> yeah. but yet it still wouldn't respond to touch. So, I, I, and I've seen that in a couple of other apps. I've seen that happen to messages. The other thing I saw a couple times over the week was the keyboard, it, only in messages, but I'm not sure if it was a messages bug or if I only happened to see it in messages, but the keyboard would just disappear. Yep. And where the keyboard goes, it was just replaced by a white rectangle, the size of the keyboard, but I could still type. Oh, wait, <laughs> no, just... so my messages bug is the keyboard goes away and then like the messages window just, it like goes really small at the top and the... It was like it was like literally like the phone had flipped upside down. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I saw something like that once too, where it got like it was almost like it, like it turned into a window. Yeah, you know, like and you could see what was behind it. But I had the thing happen a couple times where the keyboard just went white, <laughs> and I could still type and guess where the keys were. The other one I had that was really weird was messages completely wedged, and it just wouldn't respond at all. It didn't respond to any touch, and the phone started getting really warm, and I I had my wife next to me. I was like, here, send me a text. And she sent me a text and it showed up as a notification, but there was, you know, I tapped the notification and nothing would happen. And then I'd, I'd go to, you know, uh, the card switching mode for, you know, where you can flip the app up to force quit it. And I'd flip it up and go back to messages and it was still the same. So like whatever it was that wedged wasn't the messages app. It was some like lower level background demon that messages uses. The only way I could get out of it was to turn the phone on and off. Yeah, I've had to restart it three times. Uh, it's AirDrop that has crashed. I mean, taking lots of photos, right? Like, yeah. okay, I'm going to send 40 photos to my laptop. Well, AirDrop's just going to crash and I got to restart. My favorite bug, and I, I kind of wish I could just do it at will because it's hilarious, is, uh, you know, they replaced 3D Touch with Haptic Touch. So you you hold down on the link to get the link preview. And like I would say 15% of the time, that just happens in slow motion. <laughs> just like ultra like, slow, like the link uh, comes up over, the, the drop shadow appears. There's like an animation. It's wild. Like when you minimize a window on the Mac while you hold down the shift key and yeah, yeah, slow yeah. motions into the dock. Yeah. Like if it, just to show you. And I, I think they built that just for jobs to demo it on stage. Right. But this is like there's no no one's demoing haptic touch. Like I think the thing is just confused. It's like we're gonna take this one slow, right? And it's just this. You actually wrote about this in your piece. Like haptic touch is necessarily slower than 3D touch already. Yeah. So it just felt like insult to injury. Like I'm already waiting to open this link, and then all of a sudden it's like, hold on a minute. 
Yeah. So anyway, it is buggy in bad ways. Dieter has had springboard crash out like two or three times. So like I, it's just I've I, you know during our review, I'm you have calls like, hey, I've got a nine thousand questions for you as I've been reviewing the phone, and like the first question every time is like, what's up with iOS thirteen? And the answer is, well, iOS thirteen dot one is coming. Yeah. Okay. And that's going to bring the airdrop feature. It's going to light up the U one chip. It's like, and then later this fall, you get Deep Fusion. I think that they've dropped features from thirteen point one already too. I mean, and like I wrote like. And this happened last year too. There was like iMessages in the cloud. I think that was last year. But there, there for a while now, there have been like we have to stop thinking of what they tell us at WWDC in June. Like here's the next version of iOS. Here's the features. We have to stop thinking about them as here's what's coming in September. It's it's effectively a roadmap for the next year, and they don't know as of June which ones are going to ship when. And I think they should be a little more honest about that. Because at this point, because they make it seem at WWDC that all of this cool stuff will be coming in September, when it doesn't, it seems like everything's late. Yeah, but you you make that more diffuse, and it's like, why even have big version number events, right? Yeah, that's part of Apple's culture. Yeah, you know, it's it's there's no way you're going to rock them off that. Like that's it's. I mean, they don't have to do it, but they kind of feel like they have to do it. Yeah, I mean, this has always been the debate, right? Like, you know, 45 minutes we've been talking. I'm sure Google has updated Google.com 400 times with, like, a series of A-B tests, and it's, like, automatically decided what it's doing. Like, other big software products just have rolling updates in this way, and Apple has had the big canonical update, and now that seems to be changing. And so, like, the question of where they put that balance, I think, is kind of open for interpretation. Yeah, and I'm aware of a memo that, that uh, Craig Federighi wrote to the engineering staff, I think in late July, uh, somewhere around that point, more or less acknowledging that, hey, this, you know, we've got to rejigger our plans. And, you know, this, it, it didn't spell out. I, I, I read the memo. It didn't quite come out and say 13.0 is going to ship and 13.1 is going to come closely thereafter. But more or less, that's what it said. And they knew that the iPad wasn't going to get 13 on day one. And they knew that they needed to, it more or less, it did, and again, it's you know, even inside Apple, they don't know everything, you know, they don't really share secrets, but it reading between the lines, it seemed clear that the iPhone was going to ship on time and they're going to prioritize fixing more or less anything and everything to make the iPhone launch as, as unbuggy as possible, which more or less meant y- yanking features. So that's the other thing is if they had kept all the features that were in the betas, up through the end of July, it would have been even buggier. They actually took a lot of stuff out and went back to the corresponding components from iOS 12 to get 13 to the state where it is. Wow, I did not know that. You know what what, um, someone pointed out to me is iOS 12 was also super buggy at launch and 12.1 came really fast. Yeah. And it, well, was it 12.1 or yeah, I guess it was, but it wasn't as fast as this. Nothing is as Yeah. 10 10 days. And pre-announced. Yeah. <laughs> I mean like you you know there's going to be a dot one. I guess you just do it. Like yeah, to their credit, everyone in the world knows there'll be a dot one release. You might as well just right. say it's coming. But it just seems like between this and the tile thing and the the U1 stuff like it just seems like they weren't ready for this moment. No. Even though the phone is great. That's actually the thing that like kills me is like the phone is great. The, like, the, what's your battery life been? Like, that to me alone is like, just buy a new phone. Yeah, it's really good. I, and again, I didn't do any tests because I was too busy using it. But just my experience is that especially using the camera, because the camera is really, you know, 
the display is on and, you know, shooting video is like the easy, I, get, I don't know what else you could do. I remember one time I asked, I, I needed to, I wanted to test how long it, it took to charge a phone that was completely depleted. And I was like, what's the bet, you know, and it's sort of a hard test to run because once you've filled it, you want to test it again. How do you deplete the battery? Best way to deplete the battery that I could find was to shoot 4k 60 video and just let it run, just shoot <laughs> 4k 60 until the battery is dead. So shooting video is a really good way to drain your battery. Uh, it literally, like if you want to drain the battery, it's the best thing I could think of to do. Um, so out there testing and trying to shoot video and stuff like that, usually, you know, you've got to charge the phone during the day during the reviews, whereas this time I didn't have to. It, it's battery life is seriously better. Yeah, we sent uh, Becca out with the, the little pro um, to shoot her part of our review video because she, she does those. She's great at it. So she went out all night. We, well, we had it all day. And when we shoot our videos, we turn off auto brightness, and we mm-hmm. are constantly monkeying with the brightness slider for the video cameras, and we turn off auto sleep. So the display is just on at a constant brightness while they're getting shot. This is like, it's a, no one uses their battery in this way. You have to be maniac. Right. So all day shooting, then they went out and shot video, then she didn't plug it in at night, and the next day it was still at 50%, which is incredible. Like that, yeah. to me, it's like, what is the argument for a year-over-year upgrade? It's vastly improved battery life and a, a much better camera. Like, I'm done. Let's do it. Yeah. I've never yeah. told anyone to buy a year over year before. And I'm like, just, it's worth it if you, if you have the money, obviously, uh, it's yeah. worth it. And even if you're doing the year over year thing, you can get a pretty reasonable trade in if your phone is in good condition. Oh, I mean, Apple is pushing the trade in so hard. Right. Like Apple's, uh, like my wife is upgrading year over year from a 256 gigabyte 10s plus or not plus 10s max and apple's trade-in was 600 bucks which is pretty good for a year old phone uh and i know you can get a little more if you go to ebay and and you know do it that way but just the automatic trade-in you can get from apple for a fine condition one-year-old 256 gigabyte is 600 bucks so that greatly reduces the price of upgrading i need to dig into whether it's worth it to do it with apple or just continue paying whatever horrible fees to at&t i'm paying because I'm on that inter- plan. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting, too, because it, it, that is, it, at a certain level, it's like there was a point writing my review, where, and I'm like, at 5,000 words. And I'm like, why the hell did it take me 5,000 words to just say the camera's a lot better and the battery's <laughs> a lot better? Right? There's a part of me that just wants to be a smartass and just say, hey, the camera's way better. Here's two examples. The battery's way better. You should get one. And, and just be done. And then just, you know, have a crack open a beer and watch a movie. But it, it's funny, too. Those are clearly the two flagship features. They're the ones Apple emphasized. They're the ones every review that I've read have, have backed up and said both of these things are true. Apple says the camera's better, the battery's better. The camera is be- a lot better. The battery is a lot better. They're very compelling features because the camera is something almost every iPhone user uses. And the battery is one that every you can't use the phone without a battery. But the difference is camera, you know, the camera being better is by definition and you and I just blew half an hour on it earlier, it's very subjective. Like, what you know, do you like camera A or camera B? Do you like this, you know, this the, the Pixel's moodiness? Do you like Apple's sort of plainness? You know, like, I don't know what you would call it. You had a good adjective. But unopinionated strongly, yeah. a, a very strong opinion that it should be an unopinionated <laughs> image. It's very subjective, whereas battery life is the least subjective thing. Like if you have an iPhone, whether it's a year old or two years old or four years old or whatever, and it's in the red by the end of your typical day, you know you have a battery problem, right? Like it's, yeah. it, There's no subjectivity to it. You use the phone the way you use it, and if you struggle to get to the end of the day on a charge, 
you know you have a battery problem. Like there's no doubt if ands or buts about it. And if that's you, listener of the podcast, the boy, you should really consider uh, and you know you're in the iPhone ecosystem, boy, you should really, really consider getting one right now. So uh, did you get into them with how they do battery life numbers now? Because this to me is really interesting. I like spent a lot of time in review talking about it. Yeah, I saw that. I didn't. I didn't talk to them about it because I just. I just. I like the way that they present it. I. I, I, I love this page. By the way, it's just you go to apple.com, I have it memorized. Apple.com slash iPhone slash compare. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a really you get this three column thing and you can pick three iPhones and and it compares all the specs. But now they, it, it the. Four more hours than last year's yeah. phone or five more or one more. Yeah, you got into it where it's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? How do you replicate this test? And it's interesting. You can tell me what you can tell us what Apple told you, which I found very interesting. But the other thing they do, which I found more interesting is here, we just set them up full charge streamed video. Here's how long this one lasts 18 hours. This one was 17. This one was 20, something like that. Like, OK, I get that streaming video. I get it. Or audio playback. Yeah, audio playback is my favorite one. Because it just, I love the idea of the the one person out of Apple's billion active devices who's like, yep, I just play audio 27 hours a day. <laughs> like, right, once you have that number of users, there's the one. Well, it's, the other thing is that the, the number is like 65. It's like 65 <laughs> hours. Yeah, that person's very happy, right? Like the oh. billionth user is like, yep, it's uh, it's basically a tape deck, and uh, that's what I do with it. <laughs> so that's the thing that, that got me is these numbers are now getting increasingly self-referential, right? Yeah. This year it's four hours longer than last year. Last year it's two hours longer than the year before that. The year before that it's an hour longer than – and it's like where is there a baseline? Is there can – I, can I run a test on both of these phones and see if one lasts longer than the other? So I get into it with Apple. And they told me that there is that there exists no test. And they used to. <laughs> uh, this is true. They used to have a test. They used to have a web browsing test. So they basically yeah. just like yeah. automatically bang around the web. Like, and we used to have one of these tests. Uh, Joanna Stern of the Journal has a custom test that she does. Um, and it's like these are tests are very difficult to to make because you 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 effectively have to write a website that has a frame in it and then reload different pages in the frame at some random interval. And, like, web browsers don't like doing this. So, like, you can't – and they all treat it differently. Like, this is just the weeds of battery testing. Like, we used to crash laptops all the time trying to do our battery test. They would just give up because, like, that's not how anyone actually browses the web. And you often, like, close a tab and, like, reset the memory. Like, it's just a really hard test. It's like you want to use real websites because that's what people do. But, like, a real website, you know, like, if you're testing right now and I go to uh, the New York Times.com, there might be a certain ad on the page that, that actually r- takes more battery life because it's running some kind of JavaScript. And an hour later, there's a different ad on a page that uses different Java. You know, you're, you might be loading the exact same URL but getting different stuff sent to the browser. So it's not a, a scientific Fair, fair is fair. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. There's no, there's no rigor to it. Like it's just like here's this. We wrote up this like hacky script on a website that's going to load other websites, and then the battery will eventually die. And like, there's no way to to tell you that the test is the same every time. And also, the test isn't actually still. It's still too different from reality for it to be meaningful. So Apple gets away from this test, and they they told me, and I would love to just like know more about. It. I'll push them on it one of these days. That they have a data set of iPhone usage. Right, like they have however many devices. People who have opted into to sending Apple some kind of usage data. Yeah, you know the phones are instrumented. If you hit share data, they get some data, right? And they they've turned that into a model, and they it's not they didn't even run it on like the real phone. It's a prediction based on 
like the usage model and then the new phone with the new chip and the new OS and everything, and they're predicting this battery life. And they actually have a chart, right? Because if you have a big data set of usages, you're like, okay, people who use the phone this much will get this much more battery life. Really heavy power users will get the the four hour jump or whatever. And then, and then they come up with some they uh, with the claim. But there is literally no way, unless Apple was to give me. Neelai Patel, their data set of anonymized iPhone usage for me to to like get that result. So I can tell you that you know the the phone ran for fourteen hours. I can look at the battery settings page and say, okay, the screen was on for ten hours and fifty one minutes off the charger over the past twenty four hours. But like, I don't know that that is even useful anymore to regular people because it doesn't map to anyone's actual use. It just maps to my personal use, which is as unrigorous as a website that loads other websites. Yeah, it is, you know, like I said before, it is a real discrete thing where anybody with a cell phone knows whether their cell phone gets good enough battery life for them on a typical basis. But as a reviewer, you really have to do it in the most subjective way possible and just say, you know what, I use this thing for a week and I was using the hell out of it most days. And yeah, the battery life is good. But, I mean, it's, it's really hard to, to say more than that or be more precise. And if you're trying to help somebody make a buying decision and you know the questions are, is the camera better and is the battery life longer? And you're like, I can – the one is inherently subjective. The other one is objective, but here's my subjective opinion. It's like I'm not even – am I doing anything of value? Like it was a very existential moment for me. Yeah. And one thing we, we – it's uh, as we record, it's Wednesday – and I think probably by 24 hours from now, those mad fiends at iFixit will be in Australia. Well, they're probably already in Australia. But they go – everybody knows iFixit does these teardowns as soon as they can get their hands on new iPhones. Uh, and to get them as soon as possible, they fly to <laughs> – they fly their, their teardown team to Australia because the that's where uh, Friday the 20th happens first. <laughs> I love that. I really love that that's, that is how obsessive they are yeah. about getting their teardowns done first. Uh, so I think 24 hours from now, as we record, we'll have teardown information. And I, I guess, I think it's legal that they have to print like the milliamp hours on the batteries. Like maybe I, I could be wrong, but somehow usually after the teardowns, we'll get an exact figure on the milliamp. But that's, and that's one of those weird Apple being Apple does not tell you how much RAM is in an iPhone. And <laughs> It's like trivial yeah. to find out. But There's they won't APIs. Tell you. Yeah. Like, so you don't have to like get like you know like write your own code or, or you know go into Xcode and do something. You can just go to the App Store, get the Geekbench app, or or there's like a whole bunch of system <laughs> monitors. You launch the system thing, and it tells you how much RAM there is. So it's like you don't even have to ask Apple as a reviewer, like, hey, can you tell me how much RAM there is? And then they say we're not going to talk about that. You just get the phone, set it up, go to the app, you know get the app, launch it, and it says, okay, four gigabytes of RAM. But for some reason, they don't want to tell you that. The other thing, they, among the other things they don't tell you is they will not tell you the milliamp hours of the batteries in, in any iPhone ever. <laughs> Which, yeah, I, I kind of get it from their perspective, and I kind of respect the way that they know it's going to come out, and they still won't tell you. <laughs> well, so I think the reasons they don't tell you, and this is like an Android iOS thing. Android phones yeah. just have like shitloads yep. of RAM, right? Right. And the iOS doesn't need it, so like they don't want to have be in a spec war that they're not going to win. And then Android phones also just have gigantic batteries uh, because they need them. Uh, and Apple thinks it doesn't. I think the story of this year is uh, you wrote this. I think I wrote it too. Like they took out 3D Touch, they made the phones thicker, they put a huge battery, and the battery life is four hours better. And it's like, yep, that's what you did. <laughs> like 
You should have done that a, a while ago. Joanna's theory is that Johnny Ive left because they, they made the phone sticker. He couldn't, he <laughs> well, couldn't the other it. interesting thing, and they talk about this, they talk about the fact that the A13, it is faster. It, 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 you know, did you see this? This is so amazing as a side note. I forget. I, I wish I could think of who, who observed this on Twitter, but somebody observed this on Twitter. So the Geekbench numbers are out. Geekbench 5 or whatever one you want to use. And the, one of the interesting things, benchmarking could be a whole topic of a two-hour conversation. But one thing that's neat about Geekbench is that the same algorithms can be run on desktop computers and tablets and Android and iOS and phones. And you get numbers that whether, you know, again, we could go off on whether it's truly fair and, and truly accurate. But you get a number and you can compare device to device. The Geekbench single-threaded score for the iPhone's 11 is 1330-something on average. And that, for single-threaded performance, is faster than uh, any other device Apple ships. <laughs> like, That's faster ridiculous. than a 15-inch MacBook Pro. It's faster single-threaded than the iMac Pro because the iMac Pro is a great computer, but the uh, the proness of it is really on the multi-threaded stuff. It's it really kicks in, and those Xeon chips in the iMac Pro uh, by design aren't really as optimized for single-threaded as they are for massively. Uh, multi-threaded but that's just insane the fastest single-threaded device apple has ever shipped is a goddamn cell phone it is <laughs> absolutely great. hilarious and it, it just is like oh my god when the fuck are they going to ship all the macs to these arm chips because jesus i mean it's just crazy why i could get a faster I, it would be faster yeah even if they were emulating most of the operating system and applications at some point, it's faster than like a five-year-old MacBook, right? Oh, way faster. I have a five-year-old MacBook, which I love because it has a nice keyboard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the point being, the A13 chip is faster than the A12. Their, their Johnny Saruji's chip team is continuing to do its amazing years ahead of the competition and the rest of the industry magic in terms of performance. But the thing that Apple really talked about, and I think deservedly so, are the power efficiency savings in the A13. A13 apparently does all, you know, this, that, and the other thing to get better power efficiency. And the display on the, is somehow more power efficient. There's this, that, and the other thing. And you can cut, the neat thing about the 10R shipping last year as this sort of alternate universe 10 class phone with an LCD instead of an OLED and no 3D touch a year ahead of time is we can kind of see how much of the, the iPhone 11 Pro's battery, amazing battery life game. For, one year after one year, four to five hours of battery life is bonkers. That is bananas. Like the iPhone 10R to the regular iPhone 11 gaining about one hour it's nice. That, and that's normal. That seems normal. That seems like, well, that's a nice year-over-year improvement. You know, if we can get an extra hour every year, that would be fine. And that, that's, that's progress being made. Four to five hours is bananas. But the neat thing, I think, about the 10R being so similar in design to the regular iPhone 11 is you, you can kind of figure out. So the iPhone, regular iPhone 11 gets about an hour. Well, whatever that is that gives that about an hour, you got to figure the iPhone 10, 10 Pros get that same hour. Yeah, although I can throw I can throw a spanner into your works, which, which is that they told me the 11 also has a slightly bigger battery than the 10R. Well, then you know maybe it's less than an hour, right? I guess yeah. that's interesting, you know. But I, I think we can assume that the, that the the Pros have significantly better batteries, oh, yeah, bigger batteries, yeah. and that that's where most of this four to five hours comes from. 
you know. Yeah. It, no, I, I think your comparison is right. The, the reason I know that is because I, I asked them yeah. like, very directly, like, am I to assume that the one hour from the 10R to the 11 is simply due to more efficient hardware, iOS yeah. 13 being smarter? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's a slightly bigger battery as well. Um, but I think it's ever, they're just thicker phones. Yeah. Well, the thickness is a little negligible. It's four tenths of a millimeter thicker. Um, yeah. But it is thicker, and I think I, 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 it's, I think it's the iPhone six. I think is the thinnest iPhone Apple ever shipped. But it might be the five S. It's either the five S or the six. But from that point forward, every single new iPhone since has been thicker than the one the year before. Like so, from the original iPhone through the iPhone six, they got thinner, 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 or the exact same. Like going from the five to the five S was the same, and. Ever since the six, it's been thicker, 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 thicker. Even if it's just four tenths of a millimeter, philosophically, to me, they they actually are they're clearly aligned with what we on the outside have been saying is, hey, these are thin enough. How about like maybe more battery? Yeah, how about five more hours of battery life? I'll take it for four tenths of an inch. Like I get it, I get it that 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 <laughs> you know that at some point we're going to look back at these phones and laugh at how thick they are. That will be in the. Uh, the looper future where we've got these little things that are the thickness of a credit card and that's our phone. I get it. We'll get there, you know, probably maybe some point, but in the meantime, Hey, this, uh, the battery doesn't last long enough. Support of the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. So I want to ask you uh, just one more question about the phones, and I want to talk about some of these reviews. Yeah. I'm actually very excited to talk to you about that. So here's my last question. Which one are you going to get? That's my really last question. Because the, the 11 Pro versus 11 debate is, like, raging. Uh, without question, uh, I no hesitation, zero hesitation, zero doubt. The only thing I hesitated on was color. But uh, for me, without hesitation, the iPhone 10 or 11 Pro, not yeah. Max. Because I want the three cameras. I, I truly, as, as a, I hesitate to even say prosumer, as a, as a long-time 20-year devout amateur photographer uh, or at least photo enthusiast, uh, it's just too important to me. And I really, really, I, I, I've gone more 
I, I realize now, like my favorite personal real, quote unquote, real camera, which I really, really have to put dick quotes around now because I really think that <laughs> it's, it's really getting harder to not call these real cameras, is a Fuji X100S. And I think I got it in like 2015. And they, they, then there came the X100T. And then I don't know. They're, they've added like three letters since then. Like it's, it's like four generations out of, da- out of date. I love it. It's a great camera. It's bigger than pocket size, but way smaller than like an SLR. And I have a Canon SLR and I have some lenses for it that I spent a ridiculous amount of money on that I haven't used literally now in like a year. Um, I just use my iPhone more and more. I have real cameras. I've gone longer without buying a camera camera right now than I have in since like 1999 when I first bought like my first camera. I, I haven't bought a camera in like four years. And it's not because I, I've, I've given them up. It's just that I, I realize how seldom I use them. Like it's probably time for me to get one and it's going to be neat because I'm going to get that like, hey, I haven't bought a camera in five years. Holy crap, are these a lot faster and autofocus works better and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to get that iPhone 4 to iPhone 11 jump. I, I use the telephoto lens. I like it. I love the the portrait effect at times. I probably do use it less. And I, I one of the things I think we should talk about, I do think it's a very interesting decision that the regular 11 when it gained the second lens, got an ultra wide instead of a telephoto, even though for the first four years of Apple having dual camera phones, it was regular and telephoto, not regular and ultra wide. I think that's a very interesting decision, but I want all three. No no hesitation. The only question for me was whether I should get the space gray or the midnight green. And I went space gray because I'm boring. I'm going space gray. I'm the same as you. I'm buying the pro. I'm also very picky about displays and I can see that LCD, just I can just see it. And most people cannot. Do you right? know what? I, it's funny. I don't see the details. My, my close vision isn't good enough to see the details. In some ways, indoors, I actually prefer the color of the LCD. Uh, yeah. I, I get it. I can see the contrast ratio. I don't watch a lot of movies, though. I almost never watch, like, movies. So, like, the, the black blacks of OLED don't really do much for me. Um, where I see it, and again, it's important to me because it's. I'm, I really am totally happy to justify spending four hundred dollars more for the Pro than the regular eleven to use it as a camera. Is out, outdoors in sunshine when I'm like taking photos. Like the the extra brightness and the extra contrast really do make it visible in conditions where the LCD isn't, or yeah. more more visible. Yeah, it's. I mean, the contrast is great. I mean. I mean, I stared at an LCD computer display all day, and I'm not, like, throwing out the window. Like, it's great. I, I like the extra contrast. I think it's great. It's actually the sharpness. I can just I can just tell. Yeah. Maybe it's all mental. Like, I think so many of these things are just mental. Like, I can't see the sharpness, I, I, but that's because my eyes aren't good enough anymore. But I believe you that you can because you're a youngster. I, but do you <laughs> see what I mean, though, about the colors sometimes indoors? Yeah. I still see OLED is just really hard to get color right. And there are times when, especially this one week when I'm really testing these two phones side by side, where like at nighttime in my house, I'm like, you know, I like the color on this, uh, uh, the LCD, the iPhone 11 better. It, this is like what this is supposed to look like. This white looks like a better white to me than, than on this one. Uh, so that is almost certainly related to the, the, the fact that it's a Stripe LCD mm-hmm. and they're actually making white out of RGB pixels all at once as opposed right. to the weird diamond thing that the the OLEDs are doing. And I see that. I and it, But especially indoors, especially side by side, I see it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I buy it. You know, what's weird is they should be the same because they all have True Tone, right? So they, they should yeah. be calibrating to white the same and they don't. And yeah. I, I asked... 
about this. This is the second year in a row now. I'm like, stop here, true. Like, this should be the same. And they're like, oh, we made the true tone sensor. Uh, it's wide. It's fewer wider channels now. So it's definitely different than last year, which is true. Hmm. So the, the 10s, my 10s Max and my Pro are slightly different color temperatures because um, they're reading differently. But I do not know why the OLED and the LCD end up at different places because yeah. they should be the same. So I do. I, I, and it's funny. There's this amazing consensus among all the, all the reviewers, or almost all, I guess, at least, that the, most people should just get the iPhone 11. Yeah. I, I, I said that last year with the XR. I, I really, and I meant it. And I got some shit from Daring Fireball readers like, why in the world would you recommend to people the phone if you're not buying it? And I'm saying, I, my answer is, I'm not saying everybody should get it. I'm saying most people, most people I know don't care anywhere near as much about photography as I do. I know a lot of people who have uh, the iPhone XS or the 10 who don't even know it has a second camera. And I'm like, hey, well, look at the back. Don't you see that it has two cameras? Uh, like, oh, I didn't know. You know what's really interesting to me? Uh, there's endless arguing about um, the camera tests. Like you, I just, I, I'm assuming most people know this. If you publish a subjective test into the world and say, this one's definitely better, the world will <laughs> respond to you. So like I hit publish, I'm like, all right, here comes the tidal wave. It's coming. But so many people are like, to compete with the Pixel 4, Google's going to have to add a second camera. And it's like, guys, they're not all on at once. <laughs> like, It's one sensor at a time. They, they feel the same because you can like do the zooming, but they're not all going. And I think that is related to you saying people don't even know. Like the phone isn't telling you. And so I think you talked about the ultra wide. I think part of the deal with the ultra wide is they can show it to you because they got that new viewfinder and they can show you outside the frame and they can do stuff. I haven't really gotten. Have you gotten the auto cropping adjustment to work? Uh, I wasted an enormous number, amount of time the night before the review that was dropping. And uh, uh, because I had it working. <laughs> this is iOS. This working. is some real iOS 13 shit right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had it working and, it, and it was too late. It's, you know, like the middle of the night. And so it was too late to talk to Apple about it again. I'd already talked to them. And I, it, it, at the time, the last time I talked to Apple during the review week, it had been working very well for me. Um, one of the tests I ran was, and did you turn on the option? You go to the settings app and go to camera and you can, uh, shoot outside the frame. Yep. And by default, they only have it on for video. And I think the reason they have it off for photos, I asked, why not have it on by default for photos too? And I got a weird non-answer from Apple. Like, an, a, you know, like it took me a second to process and think, hey, wait, that sounds like an answer, but it's not an answer. Yeah. I think the answer is it's buggy, <laughs> Same. to be honest. I, I really do think the reason it's not on by default is that it's buggy because I had some, got some amazing results with that feature. And, and the typical use case of that feature is if the horizon is crooked on your photos, it shoots outside the frame all at the same time using the wider lens, the ultra wide. They tell you in settings that it keeps it, if you have this on, for 30 days so that you can go, you have 30 days to edit and then you can rotate the photo. And unlike every other photo you've ever rotated to straighten the horizon, it doesn't crop the original image, which is the way it always had to work. There was no other option. It actually doesn't do that because it uses sensor information from the ultra wide image that was taken alongside. I tried it with a purposefully crooked horizon where in the outside of the frame of the regular middle wide angle lens was like a truck with writing on it, like a commercial van thinking, well, I'll be, maybe I'll be able to detect the edge where the two cameras were joined. Nope. I, t I straightened the image and 
damn if I could, I, I, I lied. So I lied when I told you I never zoomed into 100%. I did on this image. <laughs> gotcha. It wasn't to tell how good the camera was. It was to tell how good this using the sensor image from the ultra wide. It worked. And then meantime, flash forward to me the night before finishing my review and I'm trying it out. And I'll, damn, I couldn't get it to work at all. Yeah. It just didn't work. I've never <laughs> once gotten anything. it to work. Dieter got it to work on his once. I got it to work and it was amazing and it was great. And at times with a really crooked horizon, it really had a very large amount outside the frame to choose from. And with a slightly crooked sensor, it usually only captures or saves a little bit outside the frame. Like it, it somehow is doing, you know, machine learning or, or maybe even using the gyroscope. I don't know if they're doing that to store, like they know that you were like two degrees off. Um, it was working great. The night before my review dropped, I couldn't get it to, to save one pixel outside the frame, even though I had the option. I, 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 I thought I was going mad. I thought I was I was like, I, I really thought I was losing my mind. I took a lot of photos of our video team where I was like purposefully cropping off half of somebody's face, which is just a bizarre way to take photos for like, right. you just like find yourself in that moment. Like, what am I doing? I'm, it's very strange. And it just did not work. And then Dieter did the same thing in San Francisco and it worked. So I think it's yeah. super buggy. But I think that feature is why the ultra wide is there because it's the one time when actually having two cameras at once makes sense. Yeah. So there's, I think there's two aspects to this feature. One is when you manually decide, I'm going to go in there and recrop this photo and the, the sensor data is there. And then the other feature is this automatic thing where it detects, Hey, you would have been better off getting a little bit more to the right. I'll just move the frame over a little bit. And now the person who was face was half in is now yeah. fully in, but I have never gotten either one of those things to work. Yeah, I never got the second one to work, but I got the the reframing or you know horizon fixing to work, and then it didn't work, and then it worked again. <laughs> Too nice. I mean, again, this is like when iOS thirteen dot one comes out and this stuff doesn't work. It's like, all right, we got to. You like told us this was going to work on stage. You put this out as a feature of the phone. Like, I'm willing to buy. I'll, I'll give them the ten days. Right. <laughs> Having it stop working while I was sleep deprived was just the worst. <laughs> I really thought I was losing my mind. I really did. I mean, I think you're right on the. But to wrap up on the 11 versus Pro thing, last yep. year is 250 bucks, right, to get the yep. 10s. And I, I think that is. I've spent 250 dollars on much dumber computer upgrades in my life, right? Or. Like yeah. I'm gonna, I, I definitely need 16 gigs of RAM today. Sure, right, whatever. Much better display, the extra camera. Eh, all right, so 300 bucks actually feels significant to me. Yeah, right. To go from 700 dollars to I'm gonna spend a thousand dollars on this phone, get a smaller screen. I think it's more than that, though, to me, because I, I don't think that the 64 gigabyte models are good for anybody. And one of the other things that's fantastic about the regular 11, and it was also true of the 10R last year, it, it contributes to the this is the phone for most people recommendation, is that for 50 bucks, you can go from the base 64 to 128. And the Pro models, just like the 10, 10S models last year, don't even offer a 128. They, you have to go all the way to 256 and pay even more. Whereas... Uh, just anecdotally testing with people like my wife and, and all sorts of family members, almost everybody I know would be either a tight fit or has more than 64 gigabytes. 64 yeah. wouldn't be good for them, but they easily fit within 128, especially if you turn on like the, the iCloud settings to like, you know, store your photos in the cloud and stuff like that. 
128 is the sweet spot. It's only 50 bucks more. So to me, the best comparison, and for most people, even people buying the Pro, I think should probably get the 256. I'm an idiot and buy buy the 512, (laughs) even though I don't use it. Yeah, I just why I can't stand not having the best. <laughs> so I buy it even though I don't need it. But I think most people should get the two fifty six. What is it? Oh, seven fifty for the one twenty eight uh, iPhone eleven, and you have to go all the way to. It's not nine ninety nine to get the because nine ninety nine only gets you the sixty four. You have to pay eleven fifty, right? So it's four hundred dollars. Yeah, I think, and I really think that's fair. I think it's a four hundred dollar difference for the phone. Most people should buy. I think most people, if they're going to get the Pro, should get two hundred fifty six gigabytes. That's eleven fifty or twelve fifty for the Max. Yeah, and most people buying the iPhone eleven should get the one twenty eight, and that's only seven hundred and fifty bucks. So it's a four hundred dollar difference. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I think you have to really like zooming in on things, um, or really, really give a shit about display quality, and those are the two things. Like, I am not. I don't know how to test. A four by four MIMO LTE antenna versus a two by two. Yeah, like I live in New York and AT and T shit. Like that's what I know. I have rolled my eyes at that. Uh, I mean, I did run speed tests side by side in there, and it's like you know, fuck me in Philadelphia. I've got Verizon, and it's like I mean, you got to be kidding me. I, you know, I shouldn't complain. I shouldn't complain. I actually do get pretty good Verizon service here in yeah. Philadelphia, but there was no way I was going to get a, a better. It, it it was the same. The worst thing that happened to me with this review is um, a number of YouTube commenters bless their hearts. We're like, they said it didn't have 5G and there's a 5G logo. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm like, I like literally want to like print it out and send it to AT&T. Be like, you did this to me. That's one where AT&T gets to dictate what's it, what its network indicator is. And like, you need a lot of leverage to fight that fight. Yeah. So you and I have now spent uh, an hour and 20 minutes exhaustively talking about features of this phone, comparing them to other phones and generally like reviewing the phones at one another. That's what we do. We love doing it. And like you said this earlier, like if you're in the iOS ecosystem, you should buy it. That to me is the line because that line is the thing. I'm reading this New York Times review where Brian Chen is like, don't upgrade your phone. Just take flash photos, which is the most (laughs) insane thing a tech reviewer has ever written, in my opinion. BuzzFeed, John Pekowski, who I I like love, he's like a good dude, just like took photos of his dog. and was like, the phone's fine. And then he was tweeting me like phone reviews are useless. That's why I did it this way. (laughs) Are you? Do you get the sense that Apple has, like the lock-in is so deep that no one is cross-shopping and that no one knows how to critically evaluate these products? Like, if you were reviewing minivans, you would not be like, "I drove the Honda Odyssey. I only compared it to last year's Honda Odyssey. I'm unaware of all other minivans in the world." And if you're a Honda Odyssey owner, you should wait five years and buy a Honda. Like, you wouldn't do that in any circumstance. And yet, with this phone, it feels like everyone's like, "It's inevitable." Apple will do a good job. Just go with the tide. I, I, I don't get it. That's a great point. I know. I, I think on Twitter, you mentioned like if it's like, you know, you did a Honda Odyssey thing there. You, you said like, oh, if you're reviewing blenders, it's like, I'm going to review blenders, but I know I'm going to buy a Vitamix. So I'm only going to review the Vitamix brand ones. Yeah. Software platforms are different. It's hard to make that comparison because you really could, if you're a, a, a cooking enthusiast, you really could get rid of your Vitamix and replace it with a different blender and just keep going. Switching platforms for most people would be difficult. And I have a unique perspective. I mean, I don't write, it seems like it a lot, I, but you know, the, the, the mission statement of Daring Fireball is not to write about Apple stuff. It's to write about whatever I'm interested in. It just happens to largely be about Apple stuff. But you know, I own a Pixel 3. 
I, I've, you know, I try to keep at least one foot in that world. I haven't used win- Windows, on the other hand, like when I reviewed, I don't even, I haven't used Windows in years. I just don't even look at it. I, I, every once in a while, I take a glance at it. My son has a gaming PC, so I have actually used it recently and looked at it and it's just like, well, you know, that's it for the next 10 years. I don't need to look at that. Um, I don't know. It is weird. And the U.S. is definitely different than other countries, you know, like, and again, you mentioned this, like in India, people seem to be able to switch on the flip of a hat um, because they're using like WhatsApp or other messaging things instead of iMessage. So there's no lock in on that front. But I find it, I find it hard to understand how people can switch in other ways. Like iMessage lock in aside, I just, I just feel lost and not, not maybe lost is even the wrong word. I just feel ill at ease in, in Android. Yeah. It doesn't appeal to me, but I realize I also realize fully that I think about user interface in ways that are atypical from the typical user, quote unquote. So I don't know. It's hard, you know, and it, it's that's not my game. So I don't really try to do it. I did shoot a lot of photos side by side with my Pixel 3, which again, I, as I said earlier in the show, it's, you know, not exactly, a, it, not even a fair comparison because the Pixel 3 is 11 months old and the Pixel 4 is coming next month. But just to have it as a reference. Um, right, what do you think it, of this New York Times review? Like, that's the one that really got me, right? Well, like, the Times one, I, I'm going to write about it later today. I, the, the Times one to me isn't even about the damn phones. And I'm going to go off on a media rant here, but I think that the Times is leading the way but I feel like other newspapers are in the same boat of, and uh, they've set their sights institutionally on the tech industry. And it's not just antitrust, which is a legitimate issue. And that's sort of what muddies the waters. I think there are legitimate antitrust issues to look at all of these companies, certainly Google, probably Facebook, even Apple. And I think that some of these questions about how they run the app store have legitimate you know, there's some legitimacy to these investigations and that's why we have government. But I think on a larger sense that the, the, the traditional media and the New York times is the best example I can think of have decided that they're, they're going to bring down big tech. They, they're, they're, I think that they're, and I, you know, I, I'm spitballing here. Uh, I don't have proof of this. I could be off base, but I think that institutionally they are mad that they've lost their role as gatekeepers of, Lots of things, information, customer relationships. I think that in the print era, when they had every, they knew everything about you as a subscriber to the print version of the newspaper that was delivered to your doorstep every day, and they sold that to marketers when they're not the ones selling stuff to marketers anymore. And I think that's reflected in Chen's interview, or not interview, review. Uh, I could be wrong. It could be that he had the idea all to himself and he wasn't trying to please his editors or fit in with the rest of the times. Uh, could be wrong. I know Brian a little bit. I can't say we're pals. Could be totally wrong. But I read his review and to me it read like Soviet propaganda. Wow. It, it's like it, – it's and, and the propaganda being you don't need big tech. Big tech – is, you know, you don't need this stuff. And Apple's part of big tech. They're the richest company in the world. That's actually true. They're the most profitable company in the world. You don't need to, you know, spend $1,000 on their new phone. And I really, the whole review read to me as though that was his conclusion. 
It's not a bad idea. The idea that maybe you should keep your phone longer, the idea that you don't need to, I, I emphasize it every year. Normal people don't upgrade every year. Most people don't upgrade every two years. Even enthusiasts possibly don't need to upgrade every two years. I'm totally on board with that. If you're happy with your phone, keep using it. You know, And the longer you go, the happier you'll be when you do upgrade because it'll be the more amazing upgrade. Right? I'm totally on board with that as a premise. I'm not saying I, I, you have to, I have to do a lot of this prefacing to say, like, I'm totally on board with that. And I'm not encouraging and try never to encourage people to upgrade every year. I'll tell you what I think. I do upgrade the phone every year. But like I just told you, I'm still using a 2014 MacBook Pro because it's fine for me and I like it. I, I, I'm t- if you could, if you, Happy to go with your phone like that. That's fine. But I think as the the tech reviewer for the New York Times reviewing these phones to to come to 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 write this review and I, literally I'm not making this up. His advice is you should think about upgrading if your phone is five years old. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous as advice from the New York Times call. It reads like Soviet propaganda. It literally says at some point uh, uh, he's he's comparing his like uh, two year old iPhone ten to the new. 11 pro and he's like uh well the portrait mode is way better on the new one uh especially in low light where the the iphone 10's portrait mode really shoots garbage photos but you can you could just turn on the flash that killed me <laughs> like i it just killed like what what kind of cocaine photos do you want out of like america right like i they all look bad they all look like it's 1988 and you're in the basement of a club when you turn the flash on. I don't care how good the camera is or the the color sensor thing that they're doing. Like, it just looks bad. It, it's just like, it, that one is like, no, that's not the answer. The answer is buy a camera instead. It's, uh, I, I really can't believe that he wrote it. I really, it, it's. Like Dieter it's and I have been saying on this podcast, in our phone reviews for years, don't, if you like your phone. Do not go out and spend a thousand dollars on a phone. If what you want is better photos, buy a camera. Right? Like, if if you are so motivated to get a new phone because you want better photos, at this point, the year over year improvements, unless you switch ecosystems like a year ago to Pixel, are not very good. Like, they're fine. And like, I for years I wrote in camera reviews of iPhone reviews. It takes great photos. That's like all the more you need to do. If you want to spend a thousand dollars because you want better photos, or you're you're motivated to spend a thousand dollars, I've spent a year, and Dieter has spent a year saying, buy a camera, buy a Sony RX100. You will be blissfully happy. And Sony puts out an RX100 every year, just like the iPhone, <laughs> so you can get like a two generation old RX100 for like six hundred bucks. Buy that, spend your money there. That camera will last you another decade, and you'll get great photos. But don't turn on your flash. <laughs> That's the worst thing. I mean, not only is it going to give you a shitty picture, it's also going to really uh, annoy the subjects of your photos. <laughs> it like is, I, it is some of the I, worst photography I've ever heard. I honestly, I, I mean this in all sincerity, with one hundred percent honesty, no exaggeration. I don't think I've taken a photo with the flash on in at least on purpose in three or four years. No, at, at least, I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe even longer. I never use it. If I if I can't get an exposure, I just don't even take the picture. <laughs> in theory, I could imagine that there might be something that would happen where I really want to get a picture to commemorate this or capture a scene. And if I have to turn the flash on, I would do it. But I can't remember the last time that happened. It's re- by accident we turned the flash on while we were testing the phone, and literally the person I was taking the photo of went, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Like yeah, instinctively. I've had to happen by accident. Right. Uh, it was very entertaining. You know, and I, I would say they should just get rid of the flash, except I use the flashlight all the time. To, to me, it's not even a flash anymore. It's, <laughs> it's a, flashlight. a flashlight. So yeah. So that's a ridiculous paragraph. Here's one, though, that's not quite as ridiculous on the surface, but when you think about it, it really stands out. This is from Brian Chen's review. I'm going to quote it. All the iPhone 11 models have a new ultra-wide angle lens in their cameras, which provides a wider field of view than traditional phone cameras. This makes them handy for shooting landscapes or large group gatherings. The iPhone 10 lacks the ultra-wide angle lens, but its dual-lens camera is capable of shooting portrait-mode photos, which puts the picture's main subject in sharp focus while softly blurring the background. So on the one hand, it doesn't have the ultra-wide, but on the other hand, the two-year-old iPhone X, that now I'm not quoting, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it has a portrait lens. Well, the fucking iPhone 11 <laughs> Pro has a portrait lens, and it's way better. So in other words, what he's saying, like to paraphrase Brian Chen's argument, the iPhone X doesn't have an ultra-wide lens, but on the other hand, it does have a crappier version of the telephoto <laughs> lens. So you've got that going for you. It's like, it makes no sense. It, honest to God, I, 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 Soviet propaganda is maybe a little harsh, but it really reads like that. Where you know, it's it's the 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 he he approached this with the angle of you don't need to upgrade your phone. And to me, he he wrote it backwards. He had his conclusion, and wrote it backwards. But if you actually read his arguments, he's arguing that you should upgrade. Like that thing I just said, yeah, <laughs> is actually an argument for why you should upgrade because it doesn't have the ultra wide and the portrait is crappier. This is what I'm getting at, though. It's it's bizarre that. And I, you know, I don't, I know Brian a little bit too. Like he got his job at the New York Times. Like they don't hire like horrible people, right? Like he knows what he's doing and like, maybe it's his editors, maybe it's him. Like I know a lot of tech journalists who are just sort of like full of malaise, right? Like everything's horrible. I thought I was getting a job to write about cool tech things. It turns out I'm writing about racists on YouTube. Like what happened to me? Like that's out there. That's a feeling a lot of people have. Um, that's a feeling I feel from our audience, right? Like. This was like tech was supposed to be fun. These companies were supposed to be cool. Mostly Nazis on Twitter. Like, I get it. I truly and deeply get it. But it is bizarre to me that you cannot take a thousand dollar product that is the most important product people use every day and evaluate it critically in its own merits. Like it, I, there's just not. I'm trying to think. You mentioned I have a Vitamix blender, cars. Like you would not accept from if the New York Times is reviewing a, a new car. Which they sometimes do, <laughs> that they would just like not even, not even mention that other cars existed, right? That they would just be like, your car is probably fine. Like it's just a bizarre <laughs> way of thinking about these yeah. products. Right. This is the new Porsche electric. Uh, you know, you don't need it. <laughs> like <laughs> your yeah, car it's, is it's, it's it is true that most cars are fine, and the car you have is undoubtedly going from place to place. But like it's they're expensive. They say something about you, like. There's an inevitability to, in particular, the iPhone that I think is just, and this is like uh, the BuzzFeed review, which is very funny, where, where I think the Times review is, it feels cynical. The BuzzFeed review is deeply funny, right? Like, yes, John's like, yes. look, I took a bunch of pictures of my dogs. That's really what you're going to do with the phone. The pictures are great. Here's a list of features. I'm out. Like, if you yeah. want a phone, buy a phone. I don't give a shit. Like, that's his yeah. attitude. It's a very funny, he's a, a super funny writer. But it yeah. doesn't have the word Samsung in it. Right. Well, he does mention the Pixel, though. Yeah, at but one point. Google sells eight phones a year. I didn't mention Samsung in my review. But your audience does not give a shit about the Samsung right. phone. Right. They don't, really. <laughs> they don't. And, like, 
I, I personally think it is bizarre that Samsung sells as many phones. That this goes back into that weird dark world of carrier marketing. Yeah, like the Samsung phones are very good and they're very popular. But like, if you're buying an Android phone, I think you should buy a Pixel. Why doesn't yeah. Google sell more phones? Because Samsung markets the shit out of its phones. Like, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, you can't. That's that is Apple's competitor in in this country. The company that scares quote unquote Apple the most is Samsung. It's just yeah. true. In China, it's Huawei, right? Yeah. Like they uh, at the event, they were showing us photos from the Huawei P30 Pro and talking shit yeah. about them because they yeah. they know that's the competition. But it's bizarre. Like so you've got your audience, fine, but BuzzFeed and the Times are big mainstream general interest news organizations, and they don't even mention like when you are in the store buying this phone that is being forced upon you every two years. There's some other phones you can look at. Like I just don't. There's something about that that kills me. Well, the 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 hypothetical I like to toss out, and I think about it all the time, and I especially think about it when I'm using like getting buying a Pixel and using a Pixel or, or something like that. And I used to do it with used to use the same analogy with Windows and Mac. But the 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 test I like to ask people is what would like you like what would if you were forced to choose between these two hypothetical devices, which would you choose? Would you choose an iPhone 11 Pro running? the latest version of Android, or a Pixel 3 or next month a Pixel 4 running iOS 13.1. <laughs> yeah, right now it's right. a, a toss-up. I personally, without hesitation, would choose a, to use a Pixel running iOS. I, I'm, yeah. I'm more attached to iOS by far than I am to the iPhone hardware. Yeah. So to me, this comes down to literally two things. Because I, I do think the Pixel is great, and then you know every so often I like use a Pixel for a while. It's iMessage, and it's uh, hilariously AirDrop, and now it's uh, becoming my Apple Watch a little bit, right? Mm. But I use AirDrop all day, every day. Um, it is super convenient and great, and like you know, I we again to come back to this like very narrow use case in my life. Like I take a lot of photos of the baby, I send the photos to my wife. Like. How do we do that? We use AirDrop nonstop. Like, that's the thing that we do every day. Um, the tie to the Apple Watch is great. Like, I've started wearing it this year. I wasn't wearing it before, less so. Uh, and then it's it's iMessage, right? Like, all of my friends are on iMessage. The moments that I'm a green bubble, they're like, dude, what are you doing? We're not talking. <laughs> the only person I know who said to be green bubbles is Matt Honan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And every time it comes, I'm like, what? Is something broken on Matt's phone? I'm like, oh, yeah, he uses an Android. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's really something. It, it, we, we have done um, endless episodes of podcasts. Um, uh, Ashley Carmen, our senior reporter, and Caitlin Tiffany, who's not at the Atlantic, they had a show called Watch Percent Button. Like, they've done episodes on like, guys who are using dating apps who get ghosted when their bubbles are green. So they, they mm. wait. Like, it's a cultural phenomenon. Yes. Okay. If you put iMessage on Android, I think your question about would I take Apple hardware running Android totally changes. I might because Android can do a bunch of things. And, I mean, my iPhone is a vessel for Google services, right? Like my company runs on G Suite. So it's like Gmail. We run a YouTube channel, right? Like I use Google Maps. I think it's better. Like on and on and on. I think their services are really, really good. And so, like, yeah, that integration is very appealing to me when I use an Android phone. There's something about it that works incredibly well. I think Google Assistant is way better than Siri. Like, it's just a fact. Um, I have a Google Home up. Like, all that stuff, it seems so compelling, right? I'm going to walk into my house and Google Assistant on my phone, and the one the smart speaker I have is going to do a thing, and I've got an Android TV, and it's all going to 
beam around and do whatever cool ecosystem stuff it's going to do. And I'm like, but my friends won't talk to me. Yeah. And that's it. I think we're lucky that the rest of the world is less attached and, and maybe is a little bit makes these choices on a more, which is the better hardware because it definitely keeps Apple on its toes. Like if the whole world reflected the U S mentality, it would be a lot easier for Apple to rest on its laurels on the hardware side. Yeah. yeah. And I think the camera thing is absolutely related to the Chinese market. The Chinese, yeah. the Chinese market is Ben Thompson makes this point all the time is a super hardware sensitive market because WeChat is dominant. It cuts across all the platforms. Like the operating system is basically WeChat, and Apple was getting its ass kicked by the Chinese hardware makers, specifically in camera. Even though they've like totally ripped off the camera app, like it's yeah. hilarious, right? To a shameless degree, an utterly shameless degree. But that is a kind of competition that makes Apple have to perform, and that's great. And here, it's like the biggest publications around are like, yeah, you don't have to overthink this. Just like wait yeah. until your phone explodes in your hand and then buy a new one, and it'll be fine. And it's like. Well, do you want to know if Apple tried hard? Like, do you want to know if they made a good thing? Because it doesn't – taking that for granted that Apple will do a good job is so tempting. But it, if you don't actually evaluate their claims, if you don't actually see if they are doing what they say they're going to do, then they have no incentive to keep doing it. Yeah. And that, no, I agree with that. And that to me – I don't know. There's something about it that – you were talking about antitrust. That lock-in that prevents competition, that lets you – basically write a review of a product that doesn't even gesture at the fact that it has competitors or that you might buy something else or that you could or you should, that's like, okay, the market is failing, right? Like there's something there where like you can't vote with your dollars if you're always going to vote the same way. And like what hmm. what in this country is going to push Apple to be better if we now have this like pretty solid evidence that you can write a review of the phone without ever suggesting that you should buy something else or you could. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm too heady. Maybe this is all too out there. But it, it, I was reading these reviews, and I was like, no one's no – one's like, you and I wrote the most about the cameras, ultimately. Yeah. I, well, I thought Joanna's was really interesting because it was like the inverse of my take where, where she focused so heavily on the – she's like, oh, yeah, the cameras the – camera, yeah. <laughs> the cameras are better. But let me tell you about the battery. <laughs> and, and mine was, hey, the battery life is way better, and that's great. But let me tell you about the camera. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so as you know, like, Joanna's like a dear friend of mine. And we were like yeah. – they, I think they booked us on CNBC together, so we would argue, like, because mm. we had that debate, like, is it the camera or the battery? I think Joanna did a great job, but her audience is the Wall Street Journal audience. Right. And it's like, literally, will this will this phone last on your trip to Davos? It's like, the, <laughs> <laughs> like that's the thing. Like, your pro photographer's coming with you, Kim Kardashian. Like, don't worry about your phone camera. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that focus was really good. I, she wrote two pieces. Actually, yeah. she wrote the dead-on review, like, I'm evaluating the phone and talking about it, and then she wrote a and a for people who are switching, or upgrading, like, how is this going to feel if you have an iPhone 5? I thought that was really smart. I, I love writing these reviews. I Sometimes I always get to a point about two-thirds of the way through where I, like, I hate myself. I, I think I'm lost. I think I've lost the thread. I'm in the weeds. What the hell am I doing? But at a basic level, the people whose reviews I like reading, and I love it when, you know, like Joanna's had this totally different angle where it's all about the battery life. And I loved reading yours. And like I told you, I love your, even though we were both photo obsessed, you have a very different uh, way of evaluating what you like or don't like, you know, about the photos. I, I love that. That's why I like reading it. But fundamentally, all the people who write reviews that I enjoy reading have the exact same why am I doing this? What, what am I doing here? And, and to me, it's a very simple question. It's, or, or the purpose of a review is very simple. I would like to help the people reading this review understand 
this device so that they can make like I'm not telling you whether you should upgrade or not. I'm trying to give you an understanding of what it is, what it's good for, what it's worth. And then you can evaluate whether that's appealing to you compared to what you already have. I just want you to understand it because you can't take, of course, you can't take Apple at its word, you know, although I think more than most companies, you know, what they say about their products is generally true. And, and their, you know, we talked about it, their event was a little bit low key and it was mostly about photography. And that turns out that was pretty accurate, you know, but I'm confirming it and trying to help you understand here's the things that are good and bad and, and frustrating. Yeah. I want you to understand it. And that's where Chen's quote unquote review is like useless. It, it's, <laughs> it, it really wasn't about helping you understand the device at all it was like don't look at the device don't don't, don't look at the <laughs> yeah just take it for granted um are yeah. you like me do you uh read movie reviews only after you've watched a movie only only and in fact but it, it, it's gotten to the point now where I, I have this backlog of uh pin i use pinboard the delicious clone for uh you know, say bookmarks. Yeah. I've got this backlog of reviews bookmarked in Pinboard of re- movies I have watched and I haven't gone back and read the reviews. <laughs> that to me is a goal. Like, it, great. Like, you sh- I, I think one of the biggest jobs of Verge has like help you buy stuff, like make good buying decisions. We have a right. comprehensive review program. Like, right. that's part of it. That's one of the things we should do. Like, which smart light bulb should you buy? Like, we should be able to help yeah. you do that. But why? Right? You want them to understand, you know, yeah. you don't you're not just giving them the advice here, buy this one. It's like here's why. Here, yeah. you know, and and to explain why, you it try to try to give them the look, I've got six days with this thing under my belt and I've spent all day every day doing it. You know, I've got the luxury where I didn't have, you know, my job actually is using the phone all day for six days. So it, it it's not just like six days, but I was doing some other job. Yeah. You know, I mean, like if you're gonna if if you're gonna assume that people are coming to you to help like make buying decisions. Like you have, that's a, I feel that is a very big responsibility. Yeah. My goal is that after you've bought the phone, that is the best time to read the review, right? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, you're holding it, you're excited, you've got it, you're going to read the review, and I'm going to tell you here are all the steps of how it takes a photo. Or like, yeah. you're going to, you're going to learn that spatial audio means that Netflix plays in 5.1 and you're going to try it out. Like that's a piece of that puzzle that I think is important for the review to do. And yeah. I, you buy the phone, you read the Times, you're like, you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> that That is like weird. It's just, I don't know. I'm I'm harping on it because there's just a piece of it where it's like, we have to, these are the most important products that exist, like among the most important products. Like yeah. you're talking about people in underdeveloped countries, like they will pick phones over plumbing. Like that is a fact. So like if we don't acknowledge like the centrality of the thing and like actually look at the thing for what it is instead of its ripple effect of consequences, like we're going to miss the plot a little bit. All right. I got to ask you. It's like such a boring update, but I got to I got to ask you about the watch. And I specifically I want to call it a part of your review. I'm coming at you. This, I'm okay. springing this on you. You have this paragraph in your watch review today about when, when to to launch a product. Yeah. And it. My literally my 2015 MacBook Pro died, so I, I no longer can read it directly to you. But it it's something like the first Apple Watch arguably came out too soon. It was slow. The apps barely worked, and Apple didn't quite know what it was for. Yeah. Do you know that that is literally the the first line in the last line of my Gen One Apple Watch review? Well, then hats off to you. You got it right. No, it was just super. It, I was like, because I knew you were coming on the show. I was like, does he think it? like the first line after the preamble is? I got to tell you, the Apple Watch is kind of slow. And the last line is don't spend money on how it looks until Apple knows what it's for. Hmm. And that, to me, is it's the summation of that first one. And thinking about this event and how it wasn't quite as bombastic, 
it made me remember how insanely bombastic the Apple Watch launch event was. Yeah, yeah, it and was. It, they totally overpromised. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Tim Cook saying the digital crown was an input device on par with uh, the mouse? Yes, I do. And it, I do. It like that is just <laughs> like what are you doing, man? And now it's like this amazing product. Like, I really like my Series Four. Yeah. I haven't done much with the Series Five yet because I was reviewing these phones. But it's it seems like the always on display is like it's done. Like you don't. I think Dieter's line is you know every year we joke like the new iPad is an iPad. Like it's great. Yeah. This is like it's an Apple Watch. Like, you, you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what it's going to do. It can be the thing you want it to be, and it doesn't have to be the stuff you don't. But other than that, there's, like, not a lot to say. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think my review kind of conveys that. I, I'm really happy with my Apple Watch Series 5 review. I'm usually – usually I can't tell if I got a review right or not until it, the dust is settled. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, I, I, I just feel certain. It's, you know, I really, really uh, – no, you know, sounds snarky, but I really could have just said, "Look, it has an always-on display, and I've, that's the single thing that I've been waiting for ever since this thing appeared. And now that it has it, and it works great, so it, <laughs> that's it." We were talking before we came on about the S five. You want to you want to go through that for the audience because it they updated the chip, but it doesn't seem like the processor is any different. Yeah, so I guess the way it came out is that through X, people using Xcode and developers can can get you know some kind of information about it, and the gist is that I guess long you know hand waving the technical details that the the CPU and GPU are the same in S the last year's S4 chip and this year's S5 but I do think that it does you know so why they call it S5 instead of just saying it still has an S4 I do I suspect I don't know this for a fact I'm totally speculating here but I'm almost certain I do know we do know that the display driver must be different because the way one of the ways that they've made the always on display work without running your battery down is that the display can run at a different refresh rate. Typically it's, I guess every watch to date has been at 60 Hertz, meaning it updates 60 times a second. The new one, the series five can drop down to one Hertz, meaning it update the, the screen only refreshes once a second. And that's much, obviously much lower power. But that comes from the display driver. And that sounds, it sounds like that should be easy, but it actually isn't. I think, you know, that the multiple, these dynamic refresh rates and displays is apparently, I don't understand why, but it's apparently very difficult technology. And for the most part, until very recently, all computers we've ever used have a consistent refresh rate. Uh, remember in the old days with CRTs, you could like change it. You could change yeah. the, the hertz on your monitor. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but it never changed. You had to like hit like a button on the side or rotate a dial or and something. And you get that and, sound like, Dong. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like the, the 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 cathode ray tube, it would like you know, you'd get like a nice little effect. It would flash or something. So I'm guessing. I'm, I, I can't. I would be shocked if the display driver wasn't on the the system on a chip. So yeah. I think the reason it's called the S5 and not the S4. Is it because the the CPU and GPU might be the same, but like the display driver at the very least is different, and there might be all sorts of other things tucked into that system on a chip that are different? Yeah, I think the compass is on that chip too. Yeah, I bet it is. I'll I I would bet that it is. Are you finding that low power one hertz state to be effective? Yes. Or I don't know if it's always. One thing I don't know is if it, is it always in a one hertz state while it's in low power mode. I don't know. So I, I, I think so. So it is variable refresh, so it can go anywhere between one and sixty depending on what you're doing. But in a low power mode, it's it's definitely just one hertz. Well, one thing I noticed, I, I caught it was it, it again. I know it's dynamic. So. I tend to use a watch face almost always. In fact, 99 point something percent of the time with 
actual analog style hour and minute hands. I don't like I, I just the way my mind works for telling time. Like digital a digital watch, a digital display where it says like seven colon three five. I have to like translate in my head. I have to think about what that means. It's just the way my mind works. I other people feel the other way, where they look at hour hands and they have to convert them to numbers. So anyway, I use hour and minute hands. When you go into low power mode, the second hand disappears because they they don't want to show one that just tick tick tick. If they can't make it nice smooth sweeping, they just take it away. When the minute changes, the minute hand moves. So it like if it's right now, if it's seven fifteen that minute hand will stay exactly at the three o'clock marker until seven sixteen, and then it'll move. So it doesn't, you know, and that's exactly, it's just a low power thing, right? Whereas when the watch is lit up, the minute hand slowly moves between, <laughs> you know, but I watched it go from one minute to the next and it doesn't just snap. It does animate. So there's, you know, and while it's still in low power mode, so obviously to animate between one minute to the next minute, it's not doing it at one hertz. So the dynamic thing definitely kicks in in low power mode. Uh, I find it very effective. I, I really like it. Yeah. I mean, I use Infograph Modular, which is uh, not the world's most beautiful watch face, but I like having my calendar right there, like in huge letters. So I just literally know what conference room in this office building I'm going to next. Like that's the thing I need most for my watch. It's actually not the time. You're never going to believe this. My watch just restarted. Of course, iOS 13 <laughs> strikes again. I swear to God. I guess it was, you know what? The Apple logo was only there for a little bit, so it must have just been springboard. But it's still, it just restarted mid-podcast. This, 10 days from now. Are they doing a watchOS 6.1? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Or, or if they are, it hasn't been announced. It, it, the watch doesn't seem nearly as buggy, but it, it did just crash on me. That's amazing. I didn't review. I, you know, I wanted to make a distinction between the OS and the watch. So like my watch review is relatively short, at least by my standards. So I didn't really get into the watch thing. But if I were going to write about watch OS 6, how about at this point? I, I got to say this, that honeycomb app arrangement, when you when you press the digital crown and go to your apps is the most ridiculous interface ever. It's horrible. Yeah. Half of, half of the icons from Apple are indistinguishable at that size. They're just like, if it's related to time, it's an orange circle. <laughs> Who knows if it's the timer or the stopwatch or whatever. It's an orange circle. Keep tapping until you get the right one. My number one tip for all Apple users, and I don't know how many people don't know this, but if you're listening, if you like force press on that screen, you get options. And one of the options is, just, or I guess the only options are to switch between that honeycomb, they call it grid view and list view. List view is so much better. It just puts all your apps in an alphabetical order and then you can scroll through them. And in six, Apple made list view uh, much prettier. Yep. And hilariously, every time they've demoed the watch to me, uh, it's been in list view. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think the default is shifting because they're not even showing me the grid anymore. Yeah. All right. On that note, I've taken up so much of your time, Mr. Gruber. I appreciate oh. it. Well, I'll make it up to you next year. <laughs> <laughs> this no, is this good. is great. I do I, I do like this. I always enjoy it, and it's it really is a fun part. It, I, I look forward to it. It's a fun part of it's like Super Bowl week for us. Yeah. And it's good. It's at the end of it. It's like, it feels like we're watching the game tape. That's what. That's yeah, what, that's yeah. how we should think about it. Yeah. All right, John Gruber. Thank you so much for coming on the Vergecast. They can find you where at Gruber on Twitter, and uh, of course, DaringFireball.net. And you've got a very popular podcast of your own. Don't hesitate to plug it. Uh, the talk show, but it's you know you can find it at DaringFireball.net. Just go there. You can find it all. All right, my thanks to John Gruber from Daring Fireball. You heard him. You can go check him out, daringfireball.net. You can check out his show, The Talk Show. We'll be back on Friday with The Chat Show. And then next week on Tuesday, 
I interviewed Davis Guggenheim, who just directed the Netflix documentary Inside Bill's Brain about Bill Gates. That is a great conversation. Look out for that stuff coming to your feed soon. <laughs>